What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome back to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. As always, I'm your host, Clanky Terry. And before we get jumping into, we get started, we get moving into the new episode we have with this week's guest, I do want to encourage you to listen to this podcast on the official Traveling to Consciousness app available on the iOS and Google Play Store. It is so cool to me to have my own app and to be able to organize all of the material that I create into one singular space just for you guys. You're going to have access to articles. You're going to have access to audio tapes. You're going to have access to extra stuff that people don't have just on the normal Spotify or Apple. Now, here's the extra thing is that you have an option to sign up and support me through a $3 a month membership, which gets you some small access, but really the main benefit is supporting the show. And I love the idea of transparency. So I want to let you know that every dollar I make through this platform is going to be reinvested back into the podcast, whether it's getting better equipment, whether it's just funding the overhead that I have right now. I just want to make that clear to you that all money made through that sponsorship will go straight back into the podcast as is most money that I'm creating right now. Anyhow, with that being said, you also have options to sign up for a fifth density conscious monkey membership, which gets you the podcast completely 100% ad free, as well as gets you the YouTube videos. Well, they're technically on YouTube, but they're not showing on YouTube. So you basically get these videos that are not available anywhere else in the entire universe. So you get access to the video, you get access to the, the podcast ad free and there's a couple other things coming down the road, but that's another higher tier option. So I want to leave that out there for you. So hopefully I see you there and hopefully you're listening to this podcast on the official traveling to consciousness platform. And if not, no worries. I still love you. So let's get into the episode with this week's guest. Consciousness, exploring spiritual journeys to find answers in uncertainty. What is up, Conscious Monkeys? Welcome to another episode of Traveling to Consciousness. As always, I'm your host, Clay Kuteri. Today's guest is a primarily a YouTube content creator. He goes by the handle The Wisdom of Odin, and he talks about all things paganism and identifies as a Norse pagan. He's got his first book out called A Yule Story. And just joining us in the green room, he told us that it's a miracle that he's actually alive and even here today. I can't wait to even jump into that. With all that being said, Conscious Monkeys, welcome to the show, the wisdom of Odin himself, Jacob Todson. Jacob, thanks for being here, man. Hey, it's so nice to be here. Um, yeah, I, I've done quite a bit of podcasts, uh, you know, and, and on my own as well, but I always love doing them because the conversation really does take a life of its own. So it's been a bit since I've done one. So I'm curious to see what life this conversation takes on. Well, I'm honored that you came back to the podcast realm for this podcast because I'd love to at least start this off with like a little bit of my background and my cultural understanding around paganism, because I found it so fascinating how I have like a few, few pop culture references where they reference paganism. And yet for some reason, every time that it was referenced, I could feel this like almost negative energy. I want to say attached to it or some sort of like 
weirdness or like it goes against the grain of culture. So I at least want to like kind of set this stage of trying to understand either what paganism is, or if you even have an idea of how this misconstrued nature of paganism has kind of bled into kind of society as a whole. Right. So something I think uh, I'm called to talk about here is just terminology in general, because I think I see a lot of people fight over terminology of certain things, because you'll talk to people who I would deem a pagan. They're like, oh, I'm not a pagan. You know, I don't like using that term. Uh, and then other people who are Norse pagan are like, oh, I only say heathen. I don't like the Norse pagan term or they'll say true. And so terminology to me is just a way for people to divide themselves further. Um, so I'm really big on uh, wrapping ourselves around ideas. And I think when I talk about paganism, I'm talking about the idea of looking at the world the way our ancient ancestors did and discovering what they found out with their limited knowledge of the universe. Um, like science has helped us so much understand everything. And the more we understand about science, the more we understand about our own reality. But, you know, looking back, we see that our collective ancestry was understanding those things. And yeah, they might've called it a deity or a spirit or an ancestor or a demon or a God, but they still were understanding those things. And they were able to do it because they were so in tuned with their natural world. And so when I say pagan, I, you know, or I think paganism as a whole, I think it's this collective movement of people trying to understand the world the way our ancestors did. Mm. That's super fascinating because even in the few videos that I saw of yours, it seemed like you, at least the way you articulated it was almost like whenever there was like a mountain range or nature, you're saying like, this is the best way to learn about it. And you would cast it almost in the sense of like the, the gods of the mountains or the gods of the lake, the gods of this. And it really kind of hit me as a way that I've always been trying to understand it, where in past cultures, whether it was Egyptian and and in this case, pagan, it seems like the term God almost meant the energy of like the energy of the mountains, the energy of the wind, the energy of love, the energy of hate. So would you agree with your knowledge of paganism that this is kind of the way that they're trying to articulate or use the word God in their sense or in their vocabulary? It's certainly one component of it because storytelling is also a, a very big component as well as folklore and mythology. You know, story, we're storytellers. Uh, we're practically, we're basically telling a story here on this podcast and humans have been doing this since we could speak, since we could communicate, we wanted to share stories. And so I think this understanding of energy or this connection with energy got wrapped in with our love of storytelling. Uh, and through that, we started building archetypes and gods and deities. And in the end, we might call things different. But at the, the end of the day, we're all actually connecting to very similar presences that are, you know, our history, our lineage, uh, where we come from, have influenced and given us different interpretations of relatively similar concepts. Um, you know, you said like the mountain, you know, I think about my time in the Alps, the first time I ever saw, uh, you know, the Swiss Alps. And I was like, this is a fairy tale. There's no way this exists. I'm looking at this happy little meadow with cows going down. There's this snow-capped peak over here with a, a crystal clear lake. And uh, then again, I put myself in that mind of the ancestors. You know, I'm, uh, you know, someone in 2000 BC, you know, walking my herd of sheep through this valley. How could they think that this isn't a god or there isn't a godly presence when this is so much bigger than themselves? Um, especially since, you know, like the elements were so dangerous back then. You know, we, we, we live in these lives now. Yeah, I got my heat on my apartment. Um, so I don't have to think about it, but they had to think about those things of staying warm, of feeding themselves, of clothing themselves, of surviving. Uh, and so putting elements of godliness to these things were just ways of them coping with it. But that doesn't mean that those elements are not still important to us now. Oh, for sure. And I think that's something beautiful that you can see in Catholicism or even Christianity when they create churches, 
because if you go throughout Europe and see all the churches that have ever been created, the energy is almost the same of that, of this, this wow energy or like this holy shit kind of energy. And I guess no pun intended there, like not to be rude to the holiness of that, but like that energy of like, I can't believe something this magnificent, this beautiful, this shiny almost exists. And it invokes almost that, that wow essence. And, and to your point, you know, they were finding that in nature, whereas it seems like this shift into Catholicism, they wanted to create these temples, in this case, churches, to almost create or invoke that wow or that godly type energy whenever people would see it or come into, you know, worship or to just to to almost invoke it of in of inciting that godly energy. Yeah, and we definitely see historically that the moment civilization started happening, the more a monotheistic concept started happening, and the more the move towards the magnificent temple of creating godliness. And I think, you know, in art in general, uh, we always try to make perfection, you know, and we see this with the Greeks. The Greeks were trying to make perfection in the human form. Uh, And something that always stuck out to me uh, when I was in art school is they were talking about the moment that Greeks achieved perfection. They threw it away and they started making it more perfect. Uh, you know, they had this human form, but they would remove the spine. And so it would actually be concave rather than out. Um, they would change the butt, you know, the butt structure to make the butt more refined. And so they started perfecting what was already made. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Conscious Technologies, LLC. Talk about an aligned company name. This company creating technology that will revolutionize the way that humanity is able to resonate or vibrate with the electromagnetic frequency of your phone, of your Wi-Fi router, of the light bulbs in your house, of really anything. What they do is they have created these amazing minerals, amazing units that you can either place on the back of your phone, you can wear it as a necklace, or they even have like little in-house generators, if you will, that can unify the entire field of an entire house. I've experienced these things in person, and I unequivocally can tell you that it does something and it helps you feel more present, more calm, and more connected to the spiritual dimension, if you will. And I highly recommend that you also check out episode number 034, where I actually talked to one of the co-founders and it blew my mind away. One of my favorite episodes where we actually get into how he creates it, why it's created. And, you know, if this wasn't enough of a sell for you, go check out that episode because I know that it will sell you after that. Conscious Technologies, LLC, harmonizing the planet one person at a time. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Revive CBD. Now I know what you're thinking, another CBD product. And typically I would completely agree with you. I've gone through all my trials and tribulations with CBD products, but this CBD cream is unlike anything else. Honestly, I don't know what it is, but there's something in the technology of it that it helps absorb into your skin and actually get to the place that aches and soothes your muscles almost instantaneously. It's close to instant. It's probably about a five to 10 minute activation that I've noticed, but sometimes it goes a little bit quicker. And so I know it can be difficult for the find the right one. And this was my personal favorite that I had found after long enough. (laughs) I don't want to go back to that dark time, but I found it. It works amazing. And the creator of it is an incredible guy. So I highly recommend you click the sponsors link below, click on the revive CBD tab and get yours today. Revive CBD, feel better, live better, all premium, all natural CBD products. 
and mm. so we see this throughout the creation of civilization is the more we move into these urban areas, the more we start to move away from that natural world and the more we start to manipulate it and create our own vision of these, these concepts. An interesting idea that's kind of coming to me when you're saying this is the idea of models, because I know I was like a nineties baby. And I know whenever, whenever I was growing up, the idea of models were like super, like whole skinny, you know, girls who were usually bulimic or like always throwing up, you know, not, not the healthiest, right? Like health right. wasn't, wasn't the pinnacle. It was like, are you small? Are you, you know, kind of dainty in a sense. And now it's, it's almost like healthier, right? Like a, a model kind of has more curves to them. You know, they they have a little bit more, they probably lift a little bit. And so I find that to be like a pretty interesting parallel in regards to this idea of what we deem being the pinnacle of, of our truth of, of whether it's beauty or whether it's, you know, our ideology, whenever it comes to religion or spirituality or paganism or otherwise. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I could see a, a pathway of a conversation here. I was like, man, there's a whole conversation on like the evolution of like, uh, you know, what we deem as beautiful, you know, like the whole, uh, we haven't had a president with facial hair since I think Teddy Roosevelt, you know, and mostly you know, political figures, you know, nowadays, um, typically beard equals evil. Um, and that's mostly because of the Hitler mustache, the Stalin mustache, or even, you know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of there, there was that one, you know, can't remember his name but he had like a big beard as well castro castro um and so like the political leader with facial hair became taboo because it was like oh those were the only the bad guys and in order to be set yourself apart most political figures took on the clean shaven face um and so it's that's not something that's necessarily you know religious or spiritual it's societal and so it's it is really hard to kind of cut through and, it, and they're no less interesting mind you still very interesting but figuring out the the spiritual reasons we did things and the cultural reasons we did things well then staying on that topic you know through your history of examining paganism and maybe christianity as a whole have you been able to kind of see or observe throughout history why there was almost this cultural stigma that might have been attached to paganism as being kind of this i hate to say dirty but dirty seems the word that comes to mind is that it feels like you know, it kind of gets lumped in with witchcraft and, and, and sort of, it's weird because I, I've never, I feel like I've never had direct, like paganism is bad. Paganism is, is evil, right. it, but there's this like weird, like stigma that I even had a conversation with somebody at this at a Christmas party last weekend where I like, was like, Oh, I'm talking to someone about paganism and I could kind of even see it in their face, like back up. And I was like, yes. I was like, I don't know why I do that either. And they were like, I don't know why I kind of like pulled away from paganism. So, so in your research, have you found where or how that stigma has kind of came into the cultural landscape? Yeah. And I think right here, you know, since pretty early in the podcast still, it's important to note that, you know, my degree is in art, you know, I was an art student. And the reason I got into this is because I was just into personal research and I was looking into books and things like that myself. I, you know, I went to this special collection library at my college and they wheeled out this Indiana Jones style cart with this little tiny pamphlet that I was researching into like the Norse gods. And that really is what started my journey. So everything I say is just my own personal research and exploration and experience. And so I, I like to make sure that people understand whenever they listen to me that I'm not the law in anything. I am just a guy uh, that is sharing his ideas and concepts. So take with it, you know, with a grain of salt, make sure you do your own research. I'm, I'm very big on that. Uh, but as far as this topic, because this is a huge topic uh, of, of cultural stigma towards paganism, um, because it goes back for hundreds and hundreds of years and Christianity is a big part of it. 
Uh, and I'm pretty big on making sure that doesn't mean I hate Christians now. You know, I am friends with many people that are perfectly Christian and perfectly fine. I don't try to convert them. I don't hate them for it. It's just a part of our global collective, you know, history is that, you know, society moved away from the pagan religions uh, and started to instill these monotheistic religions. And I basically because it's easier to control people under a monotheistic religion. Uh, we see this no more evident in Denmark. Uh, so Denmark, the reason they went to Christianity, uh, it was Harold Bluetooth that converted them, um, is because he wanted to be the true king of Denmark. And when you have these people worshiping, you know, 14 different deities and they're having 14 different identities, uh, you know, even more so, they're not going to worship and, and look after one king. They're going to be like, no, there's no one king. Mm -hmm. And so in order to become the one king of Denmark, he needed to make sure there was religion that supported the one king of Denmark. Uh, and we see this, you know, pretty accurately through most of the conversion era of what we know of the moment there was one person that wanted to be the one king of somewhere is when they converted to Christianity. Obviously, there was missionary work. Obviously, there's people converting on their own. But when it became to the nation converting, it was usually because someone wanted power. Um, and Christianity really allows power to exist. Now, there was demonization at this point, you know, I don't think necessarily at the state level, but at the, the cultural level. But for the most part, people were allowed to still practice the old ways, so to speak, but in private. And I, we see this in Iceland as well. Iceland basically agreed to convert. Um, but, you know, we I always hear it as the pagan mullet. They In the front, they were Christian. In the back, they were pagan. Uh, and so a lot of Iceland just went underground. And so they had, they built churches. They said, we're Christian, uh, but in, on their farmsteads and everything like that, they kept the faith alive, uh, so to speak. Um, and the, the reason I say all this is because it, it wasn't until the, the witch trials that the demonization really started happening. Uh, and there was a very aggressive attack on pagan traditions. Um, like in Denmark, I went to Reba, which is like the oldest city there. And it's also the site of the most aggressive witch trials there, um, where they were burning people at the stake and whatnot. Uh, and we see this across Scandinavia and Germany and across Europe and then even into the West and all over the world. And it really wasn't until like the 13, 1400s that this demonization really happened. I don't know why, um, but those things are still in us today. Um, they're still at the foundation, especially here in North America, because those things very quickly moved over here as uh, North America was becoming to be colonized. And we see that no more evident in this, the Salem witch trials. Uh, and so this idea of anything that is not God is the devil. And so I think that's where a lot of it comes from is saying, oh, you play with stones, you play with crystals, you use sage, you use incense. That's not godly. Or that's even Catholic, you know, Catholic use incense. That's not godly. That's not real Protestant Christianity. And so it becomes the devil. And I think that's hard to escape, even if we don't actively think about it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to break down there because I know even in the content that I create, you know, I guess I if I had to put a word on what I was, it would probably be more spiritual, like I'm more spiritually aligned, but it, it's still kind of this like it's finding all the different puzzle pieces of just like what makes the most sense to me. And uh, where was I going with that? Oh, whenever I put out content, like I'll say out certain things that feel right to me. And it's weird because if I say something that's against the grain, especially from a, a religious perspective, a lot of people will push back and be like, oh, this is the devil's work. You know, be careful The like fucking aliens, like people think aliens are devils. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know where you stand on aliens, but like, I'm just like, if I even talk about aliens, people are like, yeah, those are technically devils. Like, I'm just like, okay, this yeah. is kind of getting out of control. Um, 
but I did want to touch on the Salem witch trials real quick because I, I heard on a podcast, I, I forget which one, like part of me wants to say Joe Rogan, but it was some podcast and they were talking about how the way that they dated they like dug down into the earth. And when you dig down into the earth, you can kind of test the soil and sediment levels and see the, you know, humidity. You can get all these indicators of what's going on in the environment. And from what I saw is that it was like a very moist environment. It was very moist time for humanity in general. And what was happening was, is on bread is that mold was starting to form on the bread and people had no idea and they were still eating it. But the crazy thing about this mold is that it was actually a psychoactive mold. And so when things would occur that would be like out of their realm of understanding, they would blame witchcraft. They would be like, you're operating like with witchcraft and it scares the shit out of them because they don't understand right. that psychedelics are opening up their mind to this like new worldly thing. And so what this geologist or I really wish I could remember who or where I heard this. So guys, definitely do your own research on this. But the core concept or theory that he was proposing was that mold and bacteria was growing on bread that was causing people to basically trip balls. And then they were calling out people for being witches because something crazy would happen. They would see someone do quote unquote something as like a witch. And then they'd be like, holy fuck, like we got to kill this person because this is the devil. Like only God has this power. You're either God or the devil. And if there's only one God, right, then this person has to be the devil. I don't know how much I can add to that conversation about that because it sounds really fascinating, but I haven't seen anything about feel it. Or free, anything about feel it. free to pivot. I was just yeah, throwing yeah. that information uh, out there for you. I think that the thing I'm called to say here is when it comes to, you know, my personal practices and even into like psychedelics. And then in this instance with the same witch trials is Protestant Christianity is very unfocused on personal experiences. It's very centered around, I mean, Catholicism as well, but they have more of a ritual mindset from my understanding. Uh, I'm, I was never raised Catholic or really part of Catholicism, so I can't speak too heavily on it, but I know there's a more emphasis on ritual and tradition. But Protestant Christianity, me coming from a Baptist background, it was more about the church. Um, like really you had your baptism and then you went to church and that was it. And it was all centered around the pastor. It was centered around the songs and, and reading the Bible and, and regurgitating the Bible. Um, and so when it came to experiences, it was very low. And so if you start having these experiences, whether it's spiritual or on, you know, a psychedelic or, you know, mushrooms or whatever, I don't think they know what to do with that because they're not trained, you know, at least in my experiences as a Baptist, you're not trained to deal with experiences. And you start going up to someone like, Hey, you know, I saw a tree and I felt something. Is that God? They'd be like, Ooh, that might be witchcraft. It's like, no, it's just an experience. And then you have people that, you know, come to a new world they start eating some, you know, bread that makes them feel certain kind of ways. And all of a sudden they start having experiences and they're like, well, this just must be the devil's work because this is not how religion works. And since everything that is other is the devil, it has to be. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of where I guess my mind was at least going with it in those regards, but let's, let's push this back to paganism because I'm still very fascinated with it because you mentioned that this is kind of, so what, so what it might be some like groundwork that we can use to work with paganism because you mentioned that it's polythe you alluded to that it's polytheistic that they believe that there's multiple different gods and what are kind of like are there like bedrock tenets that you know because because then there's also different types of paganism right you're saying there's celtic pagan you say that you're norse pagan so what's kind of like this umbrella of paganism and then what differentiates between different types of paganism in general so 
again, this is a huge topic uh, and very, very hard to cover. That's yeah. why I have a, an entire channel of over almost 300 videos now that talks about it. Uh, but the way I boiled it down, so this is my personal way that I oversimplified it to make sense of it and a way that I can shift it over to other viewpoints and understand it. It's what gods do they venerate? Who in the sense of ancestors or people do they venerate? And what spirits do they venerate? And once you can kind of answer those questions for whatever paganism you're trying to real, you real know, quick, what do you mean out. by venerate? I don't think I'm oh venerate as far as like you know like worship. I, I don't oh, okay. say worship because I, I think that's just from my time in Christianities. I don't typically say worship, but right. uh, venerate in the sense of giving offerings or, or speaking with or working with performing rituals too, such as that. Okay. Um, so who do they actually worship? You know, for for anyone else out there. Uh, so you know, you look at the Nordic or Germanic people. Okay, what gods do they follow? Okay, they followed Odin. They call they followed Thor or Woden or you know Donar. Uh, you know, and then okay, what people do they venerate? Oh, they had heroes. They also had ancestors. They they called heavily to their ancient kings. Um, okay, what do they believe in spirits? Oh, they worshipped in sacred groves. Um, they used, you know, even the Celtic region within Germany, they, you know, worshipped the oak tree. They believed in reincarnation. That's, you know, part of spirit. Uh, and so that gives you a better idea of the Germanic region. Well, then you take those concepts of the gods, the, the people that venerate in the spirits, you move down to ancient Greece and you start investigating it more. Um, and so everyone's going to be different and everyone's going to have their own ter interpretations of everything. But when I boil it down to the gods, the folk, or, you know, people and the spirits, that's how I understand these things. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Aquarius Mushrooms. And Aquarius Mushrooms creates what I can only describe as these fine art sculptures that are all one of a kind and these plush mushroom fabric sculptures. They're what I would describe as being like little trip buddies. They're perfect for anyone who has a room that is dedicated to spiritual adventures or anyone who is looking for a fine piece of art that is one of a kind. I think I said that, but one of a kind to enhance their psychedelic experience. I'm sober and I look at mine all the time and it just oozes out this creative and spiritual energy that I it's hard for me to stop looking at sometimes. And so if you are on even maybe just smoking some weed, like I can only see how this thing would open up a portal to a new world. So I highly recommend that you click the sponsors link below, scroll down where you see Aquarius mushrooms, click their website and see if any of them speak to you. Because if it does, I can only imagine how it's going to speak to you in the real world. Aquarius mushrooms, mushrooms for the new age of enlightenment. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Mushy Love. Mushy Love is a latte type blendable mushroom caffeine free elixir that honestly tastes like a liquid cinnamon roll. And I know that you're going to find that on their website, but it's honestly true. It's stacked with more than twice the amount of mushrooms as any other mushroom latte. And I know that there's one in particular that we all think about, which kind of starts with the word mud, but this one blows that one out of the water. I highly, highly recommend if you even try that one to just give this one a shot. And I promise you that you will not, you will not be sorry because I just, uh, it's so good. It's honestly so good. And I want to get to a place where I can actually just, they send me these all the time for free. So please go and buy it because if you buy more then they'll start sending me more and it's just honestly a win-win because it tastes amazing like even in water so even if you're cutting even if you don't want to like put milk in or coffee with it you can just do it plain in water and it's so freaking good guys go click the sponsors link below scroll down to mushy love 
buy your pack today. Remember promo code Clayton, promo code, I can't even talk right now, promo code Clayton at checkout for 10% off your purchase. Mushy love. Mushrooms shouldn't have to taste like mud. Give yourself some mushy love. Is that it's basically just whoever it is that they're worshiping. So it seems like then at a high level, paganism is almost, and please correct me wherever I kind of am wrong on this, paganism is almost just being polytheistic and then venerating we'll use the word venerating meaning worship venerating you know those gods and then certain traditions and is then so then is paganism almost like the 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 most recent or the last cultural i guess that's probably not the right way to phrase it but is it like the most recent or the most modern way of basically just being polytheistic well, I don't know if like, calling paganism the most recent makes the most sense because I think when you're calling to this again with terminology, um, because technically Wicca is a fairly modern thing. Like the actual religion of Wicca is fairly modern, but the practice of witchcraft is very old. Uh, and then you say, you know, if I say I'm a Norse pagan, the Norse pagan movement is fairly young. And yet, however, the ideas that are based around Norse paganism are very, very old. Um, and so I would definitely say currently there is a revival of ancient traditions um, and ancient religions that are getting kind of roped into this, you know, large pagan umbrella um, because there's just so much under there. Because like I said, you know, Wicca, again, is fairly young uh, and yet that's under the pagan umbrella of something like, you know, Norse paganism and even people that are like reconstructionists in the sense they're trying to do things exactly the way the ancestors did 2000 years ago. And so it's just, yeah, it gets kind of complicated, but. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's just, it's very complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's take like timeline out of it. Right. I, I guess, I, I guess maybe I'm still having difficulty understanding like what makes somebody pagan, because even as I go kind of through your content a little bit, you know, it's like there's pagan clothing, there's pagans in Canada and Kentucky, you, you know, just based on what you're creating and putting out there right there's celtic paganism there's norse paganism so what is like the the seed or the stem that combines all of these things together that it's like okay i identify as pagan but then of course like i'm a canadian pagan i'm this i'm that pagan but like what's yeah. the core of it that makes someone a pagan mm. again yeah i don't know i don't know if i have the authority to fully answer that i guess <laughs> is the uh, the thing i'm struggling with here because i don't speak for all pagans uh in a sense but i guess if you had to say what is a pagan you know, is really, I guess, what is we're, we're trying to answer here is a pagan is someone who follows, you know, any non-conforming religion or non-traditional religion, I guess is maybe the best way to put it. You know, not, not the big five, uh, you know, not Christianity, not Islam, not Hindu, not Buddhist, um, but someone who follows, you know, because I guess new age would probably be the better term for that, like, you know, in the sense of like new age religion, new religious movements, because a lot of times you hear the term neo-pagan and that's all that means is new pagans. Um, and so that in the sense encompasses a lot of uh, people starting to follow this in the last 50 or so years. Okay. So then, so then this might push you a little bit, but, but let me know. I'm pushing your understanding here. <laughs> so then if paganism is everything that's outside of the big five, then where comes in that separation of, because I've heard of Wicca before. I haven't found someone to bring on the podcast about Wicca, but from your understanding, what's then the difference between paganism and Wicca? 
Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, let me get a chart. I need to like draw something over here. I feel like, uh, cause you know, I think the best way I can talk about this is cause you watched my Celtic paganism video and I kind of address it here a little bit is Celtic paganism was before Wicca in the sense of like the Celtic, the ancient Celtic belief system. And then Wicca started popping up in the 1900s and was heavily influenced from Celtic paganism, but is ultimately its own new thing. Um, and that's where we get a lot of the, you know, the timeline does exist because a lot of it is timeline. You know, I call myself a Norse pagan, but I'm influenced by the modern era. And yet I draw from an ancient root system. And so maybe that's ultimately the the pagan concept is drawing from something that is, you know, pre-Christian, that is pre-monotheism mm. um, is the best way to put it. Okay. Yeah. And, and maybe that's a good way to illuminate it because the way that, let me see here. If I was to articulate Christianity, right? Like it came basically out of Judaism, Judaism, Judaism. I don't know the proper way to pronounce that, but it, it basically started off as Judaism. And then the people who said, oh, Christ is the, you know, Lord, Lord and Savior, you know, that's what branched off into Christianity. And then, of course, out of that, you have so many different types of Christianity. You have Catholic, Roman Catholic, you have Presbyterian, you have non-denominational, right? But the core crux of it is that everyone believes that Christ was the Lord and Savior of, you know, it yeah. was God's son. It was the Lord and Savior, whereas Jews didn't, like, they st- they believe that Jesus was a prophet, but that he's still, you know, the 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 savior of humanity still hasn't kind of come yet. And so that's where Christianity branched off of Judaism. So I guess that's kind of where my question is in regards to paganism. But even as I was watching some of your videos, you did highlight that this was a, and to kind of say, quote unquote, save you a little bit. (laughs) um, You did point out in a lot of your videos that a lot of pagan history, whether it was Celtic, whether it was Norse, whether it was whatever it was, Germanic, they didn't really write anything down. It was all very like verbally passed down. And so if you have a large section of people who just stop worshiping it, whether it's out of fear of the Catholic church, whether it's out of, you know, whatever reason they had for stop stopping their worship of it, there's so much information that then gets lost because nobody's writing books or writing down what it is that they believe paganism actually to believe to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess like the best way is, you know, to, to really wrap a bow on this like line of thought is this is not something I think about too much. Um, it's not something that I really think is important is the terminology. Um, I use terminology to reach others, uh, you know, like uh, in the video where, you know, it's like pagans in Canada and it's like, that's the most searching term people use. They're like, Oh, I'm a pagan. I worship old gods. Mm. I'm in Canada. And so they connect those two things, but in the actual everyday, you know, practice that I have, I don't really think about it. Uh, it's more about like, I go outside and I feel the trees that are now I connect to the gods that, you know, I understand, um, I connect to my ancestral line. And so those are the things that are really important to me. And I think, uh, my, my favorite line I've, I've kind of said over the last few months and I, really this year is we, you know, what has made this religion survived and what has made a lot of pagan religions have survived is scholarly work, is history, is researching, because they didn't write things down. And so we've had to research, we've had to dig things up, we've had to translate and do all these very high level thinking things to to bring it back. And yet what we are bringing back is religion of illiterate farmers, because the majority of people that follow these ancient religions couldn't read and couldn't write and had, you know, very little understanding of their outside world. And so it's, those two things are at conflict all the time, because I'm trying to return to the religion of illiterate farmers, maybe more so of the, you know, 
literate type now, but uh, that's ultimately what I'm trying to return to is a simple life, is a simple understanding of the universe, even though we live in this very big and complicated world. Um, and so in order to understand it, we have to, to have to think, we have to research, uh, but the goal is to actually simplify. Mm. No, I think that's really a beautiful sen sentiment in general because of how intertwined our worlds with technology and meeting new people and seeing new things that getting back to something that's more simple, more basic in a sense can be so much, so very therapeutic for people. And so I guess even with that being said, what are like daily practices that you, you do that you learn from maybe your history researching pagan ideology? So I guess, you know, the, the most important thing to me is gratitude. Uh, and this is a surviving thing in a lot of shamanic practices. Um, you see a lot of the core of any uh, shaman, practicing shamans today that survive um, and still practice, you know, family lines that go back hundreds of years. The most important thing they usually tell you is gratitude of being thankful for the life that you live. Uh, and that's like the most core tenet into spiritual belief, because, you know, when we give an offering to a deity, we're thankful, we're giving something, we're exchanging something. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Superpass. Now, what the hell is Superpass, you might be asking? Well, I use Superpass to host my website, host all of my amazing content. I use them for my app, the app, the amazing app that I know you're listening to this on that I don't even need to tell you about that's available on the Amazon and oh, it's not available on Amazon. It's available on the iOS and Google Play Store. That app, the one that you're listening to this podcast on, the Traveling to Consciousness app, they're absolutely amazing. So honestly, if you're a content creator and need to organize and put things in one place, I highly recommend Superpass. They have an amazing community. They have an amazing support team who I've always been in contact with, reaching out with and they're always increasing that product. So I highly recommend it. At checkout, I highly also recommend that you use promo code Clayton2022 because you'll receive 10% off your first 12 months of a yearly or monthly package, which is up to like a $300 value, which is crazy. So please go do that. Check that out. Click the link below. Go down to sponsors. Click on the Superpass affiliate link and sign up today. Superpass, everything you need to build a content business. Uh, and so having daily gratitude, that actually can sound like really like soccer mommy. Uh, but, you know, dude, I'm all, you know, from spirituality perspective, I'm all on board with gratitude. Yeah. And which so is like, wild because that's like the first thing I do when I wake up is I like list off five things I'm grateful for. Yeah. And even anytime I feel like I'm in a bad mood. I like just focus on one thing. Like recently it was like my laptop and I'm just like listing off reasons I'm thankful for it, like what it allows me to do. And it's crazy how much that just like shifts your perspective. Sorry to, I, I was no, yeah, I, yeah. feeling the ramp, but I just, that overlap, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't go, I couldn't just sit by and listen to the, that massive overlap and like kind of what I do and what I practice and, and what you're saying and do and practice as a pagan. Well, yeah, like, um, I, one of the practices of like this book, it's uh, Spirit Walking by Evelyn Rydyke, I think is the name. I don't have it around me right now, but one of the daily practices it has in there for like learning, you know, shamanic practice um, is reflecting on just one element of your life and what it took to get you there. And of course, you know, me, I spend a lot of my time in coffee shops because I like to be uh, a pretentious hipster when I do my script writing. <laughs> you got a little bit of a hipster vibe going. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I lean into it. You know? <laughs> if it's your vibe, uh, but, it's your vibe. Yeah. Hey, I, I own it, man. I like going to coffee shops, like drink my cappuccinos with my, uh, my Mac laptop and it's a good time. Just but, you know, 
but doing that, you know, but taking that step back and looking at that cup of coffee and like, what did it take to get this cup of coffee in front of me? The people that harvested the beans, the beans themselves, the plants they came from, the generation of plants that brought those beans to that place, no matter where they are. Let's just say they're in Ecuador or something like that. The people that harvest those beans, the people that roast those beans, the people that ship those beans, the people that built that ship, the people that built that roaster, the people that made that cup, the, the barista, what got the barista here. And before you know it, to get that cup of coffee in front of you, you involve thousands of human lives. And That's that insane. is insane because yeah. that was not true in the past. Um, you know, I've been doing that. I've been doing that for like food. Like I, I used to eat a lot of bacon and eggs and like, just to have that mental process of like, why did I start that? Oh, it was like, it was like out of the spite of like trying to kind of project love almost and into every stage of that development, like imagining that the chickens are getting love and then, you know, they're giving the eggs and then they're being harvested. So yeah, I do. That's a, and that's crazy mental process. Cause then you're like, Oh, I just showed up at a store and got this, but it's like the entire organism of humanity in order to cultivate this thing. That's so simple and easy for us to get now is like, it's crazy. It's so crazy, but this, this might also lead you into the next part because it almost makes us a little bit more detached from the whole process of like, where did this egg come from? Where did, you know, how did this bread made? How was this bread made? How was this thing packaged? How did we get all these things into the store? Um, but maybe I'm kind of going down the wrong rabbit hole. No, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about actually, uh, funny enough, when I bought this Mac, uh, you know, I went to the Mac store and I was in there talking and I was, you know, he was asking me what I did. And I was like, oh, I make, you know, YouTube videos and things like that. And, you know, this is just a normal everyday guy meeting a Mac store. So I'm not going to dive in and be like, well, I wish voting and you know, <laughs> sprinkle fake blood on the God. You know, I'm not going to tell him that. But he was like, oh, what do you make a video about? And at that time, I was making a video kind of about this, about gratitude. And it was about winter and what we... Uh, you know, don't realize about winter. And I was like, Hey man, it's like, I bet you can go across the street right now in the middle of December and buy a pineapple at Whole Foods. And he was like, yep. I was like, you think that's a little weird? He's like, I never really thought about it. And I'm like 50 years ago, you couldn't do that. I was like, your grandparents couldn't go to a store in December and buy a pineapple. And even so much so, pineapples used to be the ultimate symbol of hospitality because if you had a pineapple on your like mantle of your fireplace, you were rich because, oh my gosh, you got a pineapple. That's so hard to get. And now it's so casual to just go across the street in December and buy a pineapple. It makes me think, you know, the, the younger generation coming up, I mean, I'm not that old, but like the generation that's getting raised right now and even mine. Uh, you know, our generation, I think we're the same age, um, is they don't understand these things of how these things got to these places. It just is. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you don't think about it, I mean, it's, it comes back to that simplification, right? We want a more simplistic life. So there's almost like these thought processes that we just almost abandon. It's like, okay, the apple's here. Cool. I'll just take it and eat it. But even it's so fascinating to even think about it in terms of like the the weather. It's like it's December. It's fucking December yeah. and January. Well, this podcast is going to get released in January, but it's January. It's 30 degrees outside and I'm in the middle of Canada or northern Canada. And yet I can go down to a store and grab a pineapple. It's like, first of all, even whenever it's summertime, pineapples don't grow in northern Canada. Right. <laughs> and yet to be able to have that thing there year round is a miracle like yeah. that is the most like almost law defining not law defining nature defying aspect or or ability to i hate to say the word conquer but to manipulate like our society or work together even to be able to have a tropical fruit in the most barren tundra year right. round 
Like, just imagine going back to you know people that lived a hundred years ago and describing that to them. They would just it would blow their mind. Like, <laughs> what do you mean you eat a tropical fruit in northern Canada? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> It's crazy. What is a superstore? What is what is that smartphone you have in your head? Like, what are you talking about? You know, the world has changed so much in the last hundred years. It's almost incomprehensible how much the world has changed. Well, see, and it's cool too because I've always thought about it in terms of, like, because I fly a lot, like whenever I travel, and to fly from Pittsburgh to let's say Florida, for instance, it takes about two two and a half hours. Back in the day, dude, that took. Like if we're talking about wagon and carriage, that would take like a, a week or so. And like half my family would die on that trip. And now it's like two hours. Like the probability of me getting there safe and sound is like 99%. Dude. So <laughs> it's just a miracle, but to even look at it in the terms of food and I can't, I can't even imagine how many other life processes that we just take for granted nowadays yeah. that we're not grateful for. Well, I think that's one of the things like we don't always have like, you know, the, the community that's, uh, you know, come from a, the channel. We don't always have events in like really primitive settings. We do sometimes, but I do appreciate when we have them in primitive, primitive settings because it's like your daily routine gets so thrown off and then it makes you really think about your daily routine of, okay, you know, I go grab some water. I use the bathroom. Uh, I make myself a cup of coffee. I get to work. It's like, do those things in a primitive environment and realize how much that longer that takes. Oh, where's my you know, fresh, clean water? Oh, I got to boil water to make sure it's clean. That takes time. Oh, let me use the bathroom. Well, that's a whole other thing out in the wild. Yeah. Uh, you know, let me go get my morning breakfast. Oh, I don't just have a fridge with bacon in it. You know, I need to, uh, luckily enough, I brought some with me, you know, stuff like that. And so it really makes you reflect uh, on how many automated processes we have now that we don't have to think about so you know and all in all you know throughout this conversation i'm thinking you know we should be the most grateful motherfuckers on the planet because we have the easiest lives of anyone that has ever existed that we know and yet it seems like we're so ingrateful to our lives dude it's crazy and it's funny too because about what i'm about to say i know majority of my podcast listeners are in first world countries which super grateful for you guys but i find it interesting because whenever i've traveled I, I, you know, I've been all over, you know, Central America, South America, the Middle East, and I've noticed on average, not everybody, but on average countries that are first world tend to be the least grateful and they tend to be the most almost bitter compared to like third world countries where they're almost like more about family. They're more about community. They're more about this like love for each other kind of energy. Yeah. I always found it so fascinating of like people with less tend to be maybe more, I don't want to say they're more grateful, but they're more like loving. They're more warming. They're more welcoming yeah. than people who tend to have, I don't want to say too much, but a lot more than they, I don't know, have the most because it's well, I think, you know, again, I'm big into storytelling, you know, and like one story I was told recently, this is not my story. I was told this from somebody else that it taught him a lesson. And if you listen to this podcast, shout out to you because you told me a story. Um, but he was in like Central America somewhere and he was like with a, a, a group and they were going through a village and he saw dogs everywhere. And he's like, oh, man, there's so many dogs and everyone was feeding the dogs. He's like, everyone must be so happy here. There's so many dogs you're feeding them. And he asked someone that, you know, why are you, you know, why is there so many dogs in this village? And they were like, oh. Well, the Jaguars will eat the dogs before they eat our children. So we'd like to keep the dogs around. <laughs> you know? oh and it's like, he just blew his mind because it's like, that's what they have to think about. We're over Holy here like, shit. damn, I want the new iPhone. And these people are like, God, <laughs> thank, thank the gods I got a dog. So the Jaguars eat that instead of my babies. Holy it's crazy. Shit. 
Holy shit. How dare we complain? Holy shit. Dude, because I've seen some videos. I follow like Nature's Metal, those kind of channels where they mm. just show barbaric. Because it, it, it humbles you. It humbles you to see like a fucking lion taking down a gazelle and just the everything else in between. Cause you're like, I, I'm fucking don't mean shit in a sense. Like, like yeah. the, if I was out there, like I'd be dead in a matter of days. Cause those things would oh, yeah. rip the shit out of me. And so it's so fascinating that that lens of like, Oh, like, like dogs could almost be like the guardian. And I don't know if this would tie into any sort of paganistic or like ritual beliefs, but you know, there might be, something here where there's like the god or the dog is the protector like the dog is the protector of our home because if you don't have a dog then your kids are going to get killed and and back in the day if you didn't know the animalistic nature of a jaguar or that it would take something off or you never even seen one you had no clue why but if you you like would associate if i have a dog kids stay safe if i don't have a dog kids die you know so you like would fill in maybe this mentality that dog equals protection yeah so uh, here's a kind of an interesting like question, you know, to kind of build up the conversation. I'm curious to see what you think um, is when did humans start th- believing that we were the most superior species on the planet? Like when was that transition period? Because I really do believe, you know, obviously there's no way we thought that forever. It's a good question. Well, I guess the question would be top of the food chain, right? Yeah. I guess that would be the idea. So it would have had to have been with, I, I would assume it would have had to have been with some sort of technology. Yeah, because I, you know, I'm sitting here throwing a spear at a, a jaguar. It's still probably gonna kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just hoping my buddy can kill it, so he has some. Food. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, hey, man, like your wife's great. I'm dying for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I go down, you got to live for the both of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wear the jaguar's uh, skin as your own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know that that right there is actually, I think, one of the reasons we have a lot of pagan things because. You know, you're out, you know, I'll use it in the, the Germanic setting. You have wolves and bears and all these things. And, you know, you have a pack of wolves harassing your village, which is a very likely scenario. And you have to go kill them. And so you go out there with a band of your, you know, close hunters and you go out to kill these wolves. Uh, and some of the, some of your guys aren't coming back. But then you kill like the wolf and then you wear the pelt of that wolf. And then, you know, you have a story and a symbology behind it. And so there's becoming mythology and folklore around this very small interaction in the grand scheme of humanity. Um, But at the same time, it had spiritual significance to those people because they overcame something like that. And then those stories get passed down for generations and generations and generations. And now all of a sudden we have stories of wolf warriors that could transform into wolves when, you know, it might have started just simply as someone killing a wolf to protect their family. Dude, that's so true. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Superpass. Now, what the hell is Superpass, you might be asking? Well, I use Superpass to host my website, host all of my amazing content. I use them for my app, the app, the amazing app that I know you're listening to this on that I don't even need to tell you about that's available on the Amazon. and oh, It's not available on Amazon. It's available on the iOS and Google Play Store. That app, the one that you're listening to this podcast on, the Traveling to Consciousness app, they're absolutely amazing. So honestly, if you're a content creator and need to organize and put things in one place, I highly recommend Superpass. They have an amazing community. They have an amazing support team who I've always been in contact with, reaching out with, and they're always increasing that product. So I highly recommend it. At checkout, I highly also recommend that you use promo code Clayton2022 because you'll receive 10% off your first 12 months of a yearly or monthly package, which is up to like a $300 value, which is crazy. So 
please go do that. Check that out. Click the link below, go down to sponsors, click on the SuperPass affiliate link and sign up today. SuperPass, everything you need to build a content business. This episode of Traveling to Consciousness is brought to you by Buzzsprout. And now this ad is for any of my fellow podcasters out there, or even if you're starting to think about a podcast or creating one, a key that you need to know is that you got to put your audio somewhere Then you need someone or something to distribute that audio. And Buzzsprout is by far the best option that I have found to get your audio put out on all of the mainstream directories like Apple podcast, Spotify, Amazon, Google play store, all of them iHeartRadio, you name it. I have been able to be featured on over 18 different podcast platforms because of how easy Buzzsprout makes it to integrate and host your audio on these sites. And honestly, I think I'm hosted on even more than that, but that's all that they'll tell me is it's over 18. And they have great software to track where your episodes are being downloaded, how many downloads you're getting, and so much more. Guys, I highly recommend it for anyone who is starting or interested in starting a podcast. So please go check the sponsors link down in the bottom of the show notes. Scroll down once you get there, go to Buzzsprout, click on the link, and I want you to start hosting, start your podcast because we need more. It's amazing. Buzzsprout, podcast hosting made easy. I feel and like we need to have some weed here. Be like, oh, <laughs> if you can toss me some through the internet, I'm down. Oh, dude, yeah, I got some around here somewhere. <laughs> right? uh, next one, when we, when we do it in person. Um, but let me think about this, because I, I like your train of thought, though. It's like, when did, when did humans consider ourselves the apex predators? Like, when did we determine that we were at the top of the food chain? And it's interesting because it, it makes me think it has to do something with environment, right? Because if if we're in the middle of a, a city downtown, no lion's going to make it to the middle of the city. Like it'll be killed by someone, police or whatever. Like it's just not yeah. going to make it. It'll be smart enough to not even enter. But if we're in the middle of Africa, then I am not the fucking top of the food chain. If I'm middle, we still are not the top yeah. of the food chain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And, and like, even if I'm in the middle of the ocean, right? Like. It, like like think about it if a whale fucking knew what it could do to a boat we're not the top of the food chain it could easily tip over the boat sharks could come kill us eat us so that's interesting i guess it's environment right it's like yeah it, it would have been whenever we would have been able to cultivate an environment that would have put us at the top because the environment matters right if you're in the middle of downtown top if you're in the middle yeah. of africa if you're in the middle of the ocean you're somewhere near the bottom maybe the middle you know like yeah you get fucked up pretty easily and i don't know man because even yo you look in la there's coyotes that roam around out there you yeah. have bear attacks and you well, know we saw during covid like the return of a lot of natural things as people were like locked inside and nature was allowed to kind of take back a little bit you know we saw i saw endless stories about nature taking back cities because we stopped using them so much mm. like what can you elaborate um, on that like I know they were seeing like in the the canals of Venice like more and more like uh like actual like marine life returning to the canals. Oh, I did of see Venice. that. Um, there were stories of bear returning to larger cities. Like I remember, I can't. I think it was Nashville. I think it was either Nashville or Knoxville. They you don't ever see bears there. And then during lockdowns, um, people were having bears like harass their homes again because people people weren't out the cars weren't out and so the bears were starting to come back into the cities and that's actually a big problem here in kentucky uh one of my good friends used to work for the wildlife management uh and the bear population you know if they're not in check you know they will come into the cities again mm. and so you start having our systems that we don't we take for granted start to fall apart it doesn't take long for nature to start overtaking us once again 
Fuck. It's a good point, man. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> Might need to do a version of this podcast where we just smoke weed and just talk about the shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is total tangent, but one of my favorite podcasts uh, is I love the show Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. And they have like their own podcast. And like one episode, all they did was just get trash drunk. <laughs> like it just needs to like the descent into madness by the end as they're just like laying on the couch with the microphones. <laughs> it was... uh, it's a good idea. Uh, there was one podcast I did early on that was like me and the guest took shrooms. So that was a cool one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just microdose didn't do like anything crazy. That was a fun episode. Episode 14. If you're listening, you want to find out. Uh, but yeah, man, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. It's really a fascinating at least thought experiment into like, and then, and then what brings the question into, well, let me finish that thought, which was into like this idea of like being the top of the food chain and, and nature. And it, and it really begs the question, in my opinion, you know, not, not to make it political, but kind of like the whole, you know, idea around climate change and, and caring about nature, which don't get me wrong, I'm all for, but it's like, it's like, there's this, this level of understanding ourselves and maybe we can tie this back into paganism. It's like, there's this level of understanding ourselves and the way that we work within nature to actually kind of create that harmonious balance that we can, that we can thrive and we can also have like a thriving nature as well. Because I I think the loudest people in the room tend to be the people who are like, you know, we're going to be underwater in five years or it's not happening at all. And then in reality, I think we need to find this like middle ground of like, okay, like for every, I don't know, every time I do this, we need to off balance it with this or something. Or like, because we can't just have Jaguars running around downtown New York because <laughs> right, yeah. absolute madness would ensue. Well, so I think uh, if you've never done any research into the country of Estonia, I highly recommend it. Um, so it's actually in my travel list. I really want to go. Um, so it's an ex-Soviet Union country, which right now is a little terrifying um, because it is right next to Russia. But it's, you know, so I, I hope the best for them. Uh, but I know a few people there. And their culture to me is like so fascinating because they're actually in a reforestation era. And so a lot of people, you know, they've kind of consciously, uh, like unconsciously decided to move into the cities. Like no humans belong in the city, but otherwise let nature take over. And so I think it's like 60% of their forests have actually been added in the last like 50 or 60 years or something like that. Um, I, I don't know the exact statistic. And they actually have made it so there's Wi-Fi almost available to everyone everywhere around the country. Uh, yeah. And most of the country is forest now. Uh, and then everyone lives in the major cities and mm. then, you know, you just have endless forest around you. Uh, but it's also one of the most technically advanced countries in Europe. Um, they went from ex Soviet state in 1993 or 94 to now being one of the biggest like hubs for technology in, in the Slavic nations or in wow. the Baltic nations. Uh, and so they've done a lot. And also interestingly enough, uh, they're most of the people there do not follow uh, like the big five religions. I think only 20% of the country is Christian. Um, And then it's hard. I don't think they actually do a full, like, you know, statistic on how many people are like, you know, first uh, religions or pagan religions. Uh, But I think it's somewhere like when I was looking it up, it's like 20 to 30% of the country actually declare themselves like following the ancient traditions there. Uh, And so it's like this weird, like ex Soviet, like forest utopia, technocratic empire, like, but also who are pagan. And I, and I just find it absolutely fascinating that they're finding this balance of everything. Um, but it also helps when you don't have a lot of people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's another thing too. That's so fascinating is that your mind can't like almost comprehend. I think it was like, I forget what number it is, but it's like this one fifty number where like, once you get over 150 people, you kind of like, 
lose understanding of like who the people are. Like you can only focus on 150 people. And mm-hmm. then after that, it's like, it's like hard to track in your mind in, in this day and age. I mean, I'm looking at your, I'm looking at your YouTube account. You got 72,000 subscribers and it's like, you know, fuck. Like I, I think on my Instagram, it's like 120,000 or something. It's like, that's a fuck ton of people. Like right. our brains are not programmed to be able to handle that many people. And even looking at your videos, like all your videos are easily over a couple thousand views. And it's like to even comprehend, like talking to that many people or so, knowing that many. I don't people. know if you've ever done this before, but it really fucked with me for a while. <laughs> I stopped doing it um, is putting the image of viewership into like an auditorium setting. Oh, and so dude, I did do this. <laughs> dude, it completely fucked me. I had to stop doing that. I started getting crazy anxiety because <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like, okay, each of my videos always will get at least 2000 views, you know, and then it's anywhere plus that. Uh, and it's like, what's 2000 every Monday, every Wednesday when I drop a video, holy shit. That's like an entire movie theater. Bro. Oh no, that's like two movie theaters. Oh my God. Like that's a small stadium. Like, Oh, I can't do this. <laughs> Let alone, you know, I think my most popular video has like 300,000 people have watched it or something like that. And I start thinking about that. I'm like, that's an entire, like the largest stadium in North America is like 260,000. Dude. And oh, dude. Oh. Oh God. <laughs> I've had I've had two videos go viral, one on TikTok, one on Instagram. One had the first one on TikTok had two million views. And then the one on Instagram had like four point five million views. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Dude, it's insane. I was conceptualizing it with uh Beaver Stadium, which is in Penn State, their their stadium, because it's like a hundred thousand people. And so every time I saw a hundred thousand people, I was like, Oh, that's another Beaver Stadium. Oh, that's another Beaver Stadium. And you get to a point where it was like, I don't know, what's what's four four million is like that's like forty beaver stadiums. Yeah. I'm like, dude, like that's like your mind just can't comprehend. And there's some people who have like 15 million followers who have the rock, I think has like 300 million followers on Instagram. And it's like, how do you, how do you even, you can't even like conceptualize how many people that is. We're getting into dark high thoughts now because like one of the, (laughs) (laughs) like one of like the random things I said at one point that like, I don't even think I was high when I was saying, I was just said it and I was like, Oh fuck is the most powerful people now have more power than anyone in the the old era like 100 years ago uh let alone like you know entire generations of kings and emperors and queens you know there's more power now in one individual than there was in an entire empire spans of human history and that is a concept that i think is why us as a you know a species now are asking a lot of questions we're going through a lot because there's so much different now than there was 100 years ago mm. uh, and so i think that's why a lot of people bring it back to paganism um, wanted to go back to the simpler times. Like maybe we're starting to ask the question of having these massive cities, these massive people with millions of followers. Uh, you know, maybe that's not actually happiness. Maybe that doesn't make us human. Maybe we're losing humanity. And so I think a lot of people are saying, what actually makes us human? And then we go back to the third world countries and it's like, they think humanity is family. They think it's, you know, having food on your, you know, dinner every night, uh, you know, be able to eat, be able to stay warm. And I think, you know, me sitting here in my warm department, I'm like, I want to be more thankful for what I have uh, and, and being with others who are thankful for it. Dude, it's so powerful too, because I know myself, like I do have aspirations. To, it's weird, dude. It's it's so weird to talk about this too, because I try to be as transparent with it as possible. But the idea of like having aspirations that I want to affect the lives of millions, I want this podcast to open up people's eyes. I want it to 
help people to get a new understanding, whether it's about paganism, whether it's about Wicca, whether it's about, you know, whatever the hell I decide to bring on this podcast. But it's weird because it's like, I I see other people's podcasts who I look up to and I'm I'm envious and I get this feeling of energy and of envy and jealousy of them having millions of followers and millions of views. And it like comes back to what you're saying. It's like that instant where I'm like, dude, you got to just stop. Like you have a ton of followers. You have a ton of listeners. Like just enjoy that. Just appreciate those people. And it's like the instant, the absolute instant I make that change. It is crazy. Like the energy shift that I have in my body of how much more gratitude just being in love with the fact that I can sit down with you in Kentucky while I'm in Pennsylvania and yeah. just have this amazing conversation. It's, it's, it's crazy. The the mind shift that, and the energetic shift that it has on your body and soul for that matter. Yeah. Being a content creator in any way, it, it puts you through a lot. It really does. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I've been doing it for three, you know, a little over three years now, I think. Uh, like three and a half years. And it's just like the things that you have to go through in order to reconcile everything that happens, you know, again, the millions of followers, the millions of views, you know, people and being able to interact with you, people, you know, it really started fucking with me one day when I was sitting here, I was like, at any point, any, any time of the day, there is someone looking at my face. That fucked with me. <laughs> That's a weird thought too. Yeah. And again, that wasn't a reality a hundred years ago. And, you know, you, bro, you go if back we, to bro, something. If we ever spoke, we don't, let's not talk about content creation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. No, it gets, it gets deep, man. It gets deep. But, uh, oh, but I don't even know where I was going with that. Oh, uh, as far as like the, the, the shift in gratitude, uh, shoot, we've been talking about gratitude for a while. It's very, it's very important listeners. Oh, it is. Podcast. Oh, they know. It's very important. They know. Oh, we, they know. Always going to be, good. always going to be reminded though. You always got to, yeah, always be grateful because I need to be reminded of it because you get in the flow of work. You know, again, I spend most of my day looking at a computer um, as much as I love being out in nature and worshiping old gods and stuff like that. I have to make content. Uh, and so I find myself if I get into the flow of work, it feels good. But then I have to take that step back and be grateful and, and once again and look at that coffee cup and thank the thousand people it took to get that coffee cup in front of me. Oh, for sure. Um, but the final thing I wanted, <laughs> actually, I want to before I lose this train of thought, the reason I brought up the, when did humanity become like the top of the food chain in our mind um, is because in ancient times, when we didn't think we were top of the food chain, or even now, did we see animals as equals or greater than us? And, you know, in the concept of like, Oh, we think now, Oh, obviously we're the smartest beings on the planet, but you're sitting around a fire. Wolves are howling in the distance and they're trying to eat your babies. You're not thinking about, I'm the smartest creature on the planet. You're thinking that wolf is going to kill me. And so you have to come up with a very interesting way to deal with that. Uh, and I think that's uh, again, why we have very dynamic and interesting gods, especially. And that's, that's really why I love the Scandinavian and the Germanic gods is because the environments that birthed these concepts and these deities were such harsh and dark environments that the, the deities that became and birthed from that are so fascinating because this is how the people had to reconcile their existence. That makes sense, man. Well, here's, here's a quick pivot while we're talking about gratitude and being grateful and we started it off in the intro, but we've been, it's been a big cliffhanger and hopefully it makes for some good content. The, you said so much less interesting than uh, <laughs> we've been <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just build it up some more and maybe it'll help out. But you were saying yeah. that you were saying it's a miracle that you're here. So what, what happened that you're now thankful that you're here and grateful that you're here? Oh, well, just being grateful for the existence of being able to do this for a living and talk on the podcast is the most grateful thing I could be for. But uh, we do a thing every year. So we just had our first winter celebration, our first Yule event. And um, we did 
um, a Suna night or a soul ritual, whatever you're, we, you know, an individual wants to call it. And what it is, is staying up throughout the entirety of the night with the intent of doing a ritual in the morning of gratitude for the sun and saying, you know, oh, I'm thankful, you know, because our ancestors had to go through these dark nights without phones, without TV screens, uh, you know, with just each other, uh, you know, very hard to survive. And they had to do this all winter long, every single year. And we don't really think about it. We might be like, oh, it gets so dark. I'm depressed. But like, at least we're safe. You know, these long nights were hard on people in the past. Uh, and so to give that that night of, in a way, it's an offering of saying, I'm giving up my sleep to the ancestors, but also to, you know, the powers above and saying, I'm giving this up. So I recognize and remember how dark and, and hard it is uh, during this time of year. And so we do it every year. Uh, it's awful, um, but it's also amazing at the same time because you have to just go around the people that you care for. You know, we had like 40, 50 people at this event and, you know, we just talked, we played board games, we drank, uh, we sang, you know, we did the weirdest shit possible to keep each other entertained uh, in order to make it through this long night. Uh, and, you know, you're sitting there waiting for the sun to rise, just like curled around the fire, just like, please, sun rise. Like you're just demanding the sun to rise so you can go to sleep for the first time. Uh, and so doing it every year is amazing. It, you learn a lot of lessons from it. Um, but you know, I did that, got like an hour of sleep and then went and performed. We did three rituals that day. I performed an Odin ritual that night, uh, which was super intense. And then the next day drove back to Kentucky, worked at a bar I'm, I'm working at right now. And now I'm on the podcast. So it's been a wild 24 hours and I'm happy to be here. That's crazy. And, and, and so, there's a, there's actually probably a really strong correlation here that I'm trying to think of in my head. And, and it, it might be around the word Yule because I don't yeah. know the history of that word. And it's in your, it's on the title of your book. Uh, I know there's like a Christ, Christmas song or something where it's like Yuletide givings or something like that. Yeah. And then you've mentioned it a couple times now. And then it's also, I want to just add on top of this while I'm thinking of this whole landscape is one of my, you know, I love Rick and Morty. I don't know if you've seen it, the, the cartoon, yeah. Uh, so there's one episode where the kid who's like a monster and he's like growing super fast and he's like been told the entire episode that he's not allowed to go outside or he'll die. He goes outside and he doesn't die. And so he starts going on this rampage of how everything's fake. He's like Bush did 9-11. And then he makes a comment that is uh, the Christians changed the date of Jesus's birth because it fell on a pagan holiday. And then on top of this, you're talking about the sun rising, and I'm thinking about Christianity and Christ, Christ being born and rising, Christ being the son of God. And so I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if there's a, a corollary with, with all of this, but it, it feels to me like there's a connection here between like whatever Yule is, Christianity, paganism, Christmas. Is there is there some correlation here or are you able to help me out with where I'm going with this? Yeah, so... Uh, holidays in general are something that is, you know, let me take a step back here. So I think the best way to start this conversation is I learned a lot when I traveled. I'm very grateful that I've done it uh, and learning more about like, uh, I spent most of my time in Germany and learning a lot about ancient traditions that have survived through the Christianization process. Like there is actually a lot mm. that transitioned from the ancient past, from the folklore, uh, and that was just given a new skin or renamed. Uh, and I talk about this a lot on the channel. There's so many different concepts that are actually still existing today. A lot of the times in Europe and even here in the uh, in North America, uh, that were pagan traditions. Uh, and you know, one I just recently talked about was Krampus, like Krampusnacht, 
um, is a we're going to get to that. I saw that. Oh, we're, we're going to talk about yeah, crap as well. Okay, right, I saw that video um, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, even, well, uh, even to add to this, I know whenever Christians overtook Egypt, they tried to integrate the Egyptian gods and be like, oh, like you have this God, like that's this in Christianity. So like your gods still agree with us because so you should just agree with Christianity because your gods will love you. For, right. Yeah. You'll, you'll still be look cool. No, look no further than our days of the week, even in English, Thursday, Thursday and really uh, in Germany. Yeah. No, the reason Thursday is Thursday is because it's Thursday. No shit. And then uh, I can't believe you didn't know. This. I, dude, okay. uh, give me it all, man. So a lot of them, they, they, um, so I can't remember, like, I'm not gonna be able to get all of them off the top of my head, but I know, uh, Monday is Monty's day. Tuesday is tears day. Wednesday is Woden's day. Thor, uh, Tuesday, uh, Thursday is Thor's day. And I, this is when I always get mixed up. Uh, Friday is, I think it's Frigg's day, but I think it also is Frigg's day. I could be wrong on that. Don't crucify me. Pagans out there. <laughs> um, and then I think, Pun intended. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> And then Saturday and Sunday, I think, are the ones that, that got added later. Um, but yeah, uh, in Which, Germany so these were today, so real quick. These were all the namings of pagans, like the pagan. That was the name that the pagans had placed on these days of the week, and then it was yeah. just switched or like yeah, just then, well, it never changed. Oh, um, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it continued on uh, in uh, the, Germany. The name my, just changed because of going to English, right? From whatever. Yeah, it, okay. it's a transition gotcha, to English. Gotcha. Um, but they're Germanic in origin because you have the Anglo-Saxon as well, so you have the German origin in the UK, whatnot uh into the english language but even in germany today like the name for thursday is donerstag uh which donar is the germanic name for thor and so i any anytime it was uh thursday there i was like you know happy donerstag <laughs> you know, this is really cool i was like your name of the week is literally donar i love that <laughs> um and so you see that everywhere though like there's so many like I, I put it on my instagram when i was there but there's a temple uh i think it was a temple to saint peter built in the middle of munich germany and there's a problem there where it gets struck by lightning all the time. Like just it constantly gets struck by lightning and they did some research in it. And apparently there's a spring under it that actually attracts the lightning to it. Um, and so that's why it constantly gets struck. Mm. And when I did further digging, that was an ancient site for Donar or Thor worship. Another pun, which was that another pun there? <laughs> deeper what digging you did deeper digging no i tell you man i i'm, I'm training to be a dad i, I want to be a dad real bad and i figured i'd just do the puns right away this is i love it Keep um, them coming. right right um so yeah and so finding out that this t- church was built on an ancient thor site and so you know there's just so much evidence of that sprinkled everywhere like there was a sea called the ostara seas the ostara zine uh, and there there's this like, you know, beautiful springs and, you know, everyone, there was like a nude beach there and it's like all the culture there still seemed to be around spring. Um, but it was called after the, the Germanic goddess of spring. Uh, and it's all these things that you can't write a book on, but it's just sprinkled everywhere. And that's even more true when we're talking about Yule and the holidays, it's even more evident of humans have always venerated, you know, and celebrated life at very specific times of the year. And when Christianity came in, though, this kind of replaced those holidays that already existed. Um, a good example, actually, even more so, as I just mentioned, is Easter, Ostara. Um, Easter is, you know, or Eostre, um, is just a replacement for the, the pagan festival of spring. Wow. Fuck, man. I mean, it's crazy, you know, because going back, connecting us to our content creation, I very much, you know, had this mentality, like there's no such thing as an original idea, but now it's feeling like there's no such thing as an original ideology or religion. (laughs) Yeah. They're just taking these things. So 
but we've got a little bit, I think maybe off track. I wanted to bring this back. Let's bring this back to the, the connection with Yule, with Yule, with Christianity, with like maybe the winter solstice. Cause I know that's around the same time. What was, what was maybe that based off of in pagan ideal paganism and history there? Well, so again, I just want to remind everyone, I'm not a historian. This is based on my research and understanding. Um, but traditionally, the actual date for Yule was the first full moon after the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. Um, because the Germanic and Scandinavian people followed a lunar cycle, uh, which made a lot of sense because, you know, they were much more driven by the darker months. Uh, and so following a lunar cycle rather than a solar cycle just made sense. Uh, and so everything was based on the next full moon rising. And so the uh, the actual celebration of Yule is the first full moon after uh, the winter solstice. Now the winter solstice and the summer solstice, like there's still elements all around Germanic and Scandinavian regions that align with the solstices and equinoxes, just as we see everywhere around the world. And I think that's just, it, it's kind of crazy to really think about like, how did these people know that these were important dates right. of like watching the sun rise and fall? And then they observed, okay, this is when it's at its lowest. And this is when it starts rising again. They didn't have the equipment to study these things. And yet they still saw them as important enough to literally build structures and monuments to these things. Um, and so we see the ancient peoples building and venerating and doing all these things to celebrate these times of year. And so it's only natural that at our root and foundation, these things continue to grow. And so, yes, we celebrate Christmas. You know, most people celebrate Christmas in the, in the West on the 25th. It's very close to the 21st, which is the winter solstice. So to, to me, it just all, it just all correlates and makes sense as the natural evolution of human culture. I was looking up when the first full moon is after after the summer solstice. And it looks like it's actually doesn't fall until 2023 because I think the summer or the winter solstice, sorry, the winter solstice. Oh yeah. No, the, uh, the official day of Yule is like January 9th or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's what it yeah, kind of so, looks like here. As I said at the very beginning, I'm not very big on labels, man. Uh, <laughs> so at the same day, I'm not really big. I don't think there's, yes, there can be like a, a big effect from doing it on a full moon, you know, doing it on a historical day. But let me tell you, I just celebrated Yule on, you know, December 13th through the 15th and ha- or whatever it was and had an amazing time. <laughs> and it was, it was still spiritual. The gods were with us. The spirits of the woods were there. We had so many signs and acceptance that it doesn't have to be necessarily on that date to, to still venerate it. Um, however, many people still choose to venerate historically on the historic days. So then is, is Yule was, so maybe I, I might've missed this, but Yule's the pagan version of Christianity or Christmas then, or like, is that the same? Slightly. Slightly. Um, so, this is where we get into the difference of religion versus culture. Okay. Um, so the religious reasons that this holiday with the things you do on this holiday versus the cultural stuff is different everywhere you go. Um, and Krampus is one of those things. Krampus is very much limited, at least historically to the Alpine region. Um, and now everyone has very similar beings. Like you go to the Netherlands and then <laughs> if you ever want to go down a weird road, look up uh, Sparta Pete and center claws sparta p um, how do you spell that sparta p uh it's like s-v-a-r-t-e and then p-i-e-t-e if you google search it right now you'll be like oh <laughs> so it's a whole thing it's a whole thing i don't have time to get into it <laughs> and i don't know enough about it to really get into it there's a very uh, a big debate on it right now okay we'll save that um, for next next time yeah yeah uh and i'm not dutch so i don't i don't really want to add too much to the mm. conversation but sparta pete uh is very similar to krampus in the sense that it's mischievous being that punishes children uh, during this time of year. And so that's what I really like to look into is the 
commonalities between culture, not necessarily the individual details. Um, it's like, okay, so we all seem to believe and agree that there's a, you know, evil being that punishes bad children. That's a cultural thing. Now there could have been a religious. Are those the reason. Jaguars? Could those be the, the Jaguars? Jaguars? Hey, could have been. That could be the Jaguars. They, they, they stole the children away. Um, Oh, like, oh, yeah. Did we just figure it out? But it's the same deal. So like, you know, I, I asked the question of why do we do these things? Why do we believe there's evil beings that take away children? Well, maybe it's because children quite simply are dumb and they run into the forest at night and die. <laughs> uh, and so like you, you tell your children like, hey, when it's dark outside, don't go out. And they're like, screw you dad and they're gonna do it anyways <laughs> and so you're like hey don't go into the woods at night or fucking crumpets is going to kill you they're gonna be like oh, yeah. you know so like you have to create these elements and so i consider that a little bit more cultural necessarily than religious well, um, well real quick because this is something that came up not my last podcast but the two before that where this idea of using fear to manipulate using fear to manipulate action was something that was something that came up and it, it was something that like really kind of was weird for me. And maybe this is a good thing to talk about where like they were talking about how, like uh, if utilizing fear to not do something like, like yeah. I want to make you afraid of in this case, going into the woods so that you don't actually go out and die for yourself. And I found it so fascinating because I don't know where I still sit on this idea because yeah. there's a part of me where, you know, I've been, you know, kind of scared into not doing things. Like, let's say it's talking up against the teacher. It's like, well, then you'll go to detention or timeout. And there's a part of me that like thinks that there has to be a way for us to actually transition to a more maybe loving or engaging route where it's more along the lines of, well, let me like sit down and explain to you why you don't go out into the woods at night. But it's interesting because if you tell someone not to do something, it's like the first thing that they want to do. It's like, I want to go and test this and yeah. make sure that you're telling me the truth. But if it comes to life and death, I mean, that's pretty final and not something you can really just test out. So I, I don't know, like, have you found in your life areas where you have tested this idea of like, I'm going to make myself afraid to do something as opposed to like, just kind of embracing like the love or compassion for actually doing that thing. Does that kind of make sense where I'm going with that? A little, um, I, I don't know if necessarily I can answer it specifically within my life, but again, with the Krampus thing, uh, and whatnot, I guess the question we have to ask, is it effective, you know, and what it needs to do? Because at the end of the day, if your children are running into the woods and dying, you don't want that. And so you could try the loving example and say, oh, there's Santa Claus here. There's Santa Claus here. He's going to give you gifts. He's going to make you a good boy. You know, you're a good boy or a good girl. You're going to get things this year. Uh, so encouraging good behavior, that loving side. But that clearly wasn't enough because then they had to be like, no, Krampus is going to kill you if you go in the woods. Don't do that. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, let's yeah, so I think it, I think there is balance in everything. And I, I you know, it's a good point. I think for everything we see like Krampus, we have the, the balance in that of something like Santa Claus or Santa Claus. Well, let's talk about Krampus for a bit because my history with it, there was a, there is a show, I guess, I don't know if they're still making episodes, but it was called the league on FX. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it was like about fantasy football. About it. it was like a com comedy. So funny. And one of the characters who like is basically the stoner of the group who was always getting high and like doing stuff. He brought up Krampus. He like kind of like went to the local mall and was like, Oh, he's like, I see you have Santa Claus. Like, 
where's where's your crompus you know and they're like what the fuck are you talking about dude like get the fuck out of here yeah. and he's like oh okay like you know, it was like he like went and bought like a crompus outfit or something he's like all right i'll, I'll be the crompus and and then he's running around through the mall in this like crompus outfit like scaring kids and like terrorizing them <laughs> and like yeah and i i never knew what the fuck crompus was and then i think like a year or two after that there was actually a movie that came out that was called crompus and i think that was probably the first time that it got like wide stream attention. Yeah. I don't think the movie was that good from what I remember, but so what, so help me out here. Like what it clearly has something to do with going in the woods. Is this something that like was started from like a pagan, you know, time frame back in the day or like, what's the history yeah, of Krampus? So most people accept that it's a pagan tradition. Um, Cause it, it depends. Like many people claim to be the first people to create Krampus or where Krampus originates, but we really don't know. Uh, because when the only written source material, I think it was in the 1400s, don't quote me on that, but the written source material was observing a Krampus knocked, an actual Krampus celebration. So it was someone saying, hey, I witnessed this. So it was already mm. happening. And we don't know how, to what extent and how far it went back. And that was in the 1400s, uh, so like, you said? Yeah, 14 or 1500s, something like that. So, And the, clearly these people would have been Christian, uh, but they were celebrating this Krampus knock thing. Uh, but when you even ask people today, like I, I saw like an interview, I think it was like the New York Times had an article on Krampus at some point, and they were in like the Czech Republic, I believe, and they were talking about it. Uh, and people there are like, yeah, it's probably pagan, but like we don't even think about it. Uh, and, that, and I observed that in a lot of things. Um, like, actually, I got invited to go to a Dionysus festival in Greece. Um, and they're like, yeah, it's not a religious thing, but they wear a mask, they put on robes, they they sing to Dionysus, and they give offerings and pour out wine. I'm like, Sounds like to me you're worshiping Dionysus, you know, <laughs> but they don't even think about it. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, it's just, it's just our cultural thing. Uh, and yet these people are still all Christian. And so I think there, there is an understanding that it's probably a pagan thing in origin, but it's a cultural thing to them now. Um, because I think the majority of people participating in Krampus Noct are just there to dress up, drink schnapps and have a good time. Uh, but there is an understanding that like, it's part of their culture, but it's probably not Christian. Mm. So, Okay, so it's probably part of their culture. So then what so then what oh. See, it's weird because I guess you can't really like go into the history of it then because we don't really know. And it seems like to be we just a lot know it of existed. Things, seems like a lot of things with paganism where it's like <clears throat> we don't know like the origin of it. We just know that it's a thing. We just know that it so exists. Maybe I can bring in so my own philosophy of thing. Again, I'm not a historian, I'm an art student, uh, but my philosophy and, and how I perform ritual and how I connect to the gods and all these things is I see these elements from the past and I'm like, let's bring them into a ritual atmosphere. Let's actually bring the religious side to them and see what happens. So with Krampus, since I was doing research on him this year, I, uh, for our Yule gathering this year, before we did the, the long night of staying up, I gave an offering of schnapps to Krampus. Um, because I was sitting here like, okay, he's mischievous presence, the you know mischievous winter presence. And we know historically that um, people give him schnapps to make him stay away. And one of the things that people do now is they'll go cause mischief somewhere. They'll like, whip, they have these little whips and then whip people. And in order to make them go away, you have to give them a drink. And traditionally you give them schnapps. Uh, and so I was like, okay, why do they do schnapps? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to give an offering of schnapps to this fire, say it's for Krampus and say, keep mischief away. And we had a wonderful night. Nothing bad happened. And can I say 100% that my schnapps made Krampus stay away? No. But at the same time, I'm bringing more of that religious component of it, of saying, like, okay, Krampus is mischief. Schnapps are the way to keep him away. Let's see what happens. You know? That's interesting. What do you what do you do with the schnapps? Do you just kind of, like, pour it out? Or do you just, like, do you drink it later? Um, 
the best way I prefer to do any kind of offering to a deity is either to burn it or bury it. Um, now that's not always possible, especially if you live in a city. Uh, and so I tell people at best, just pour out a drink around a tree or on a rock or something like that. Uh, but at a ritual, like the one we have in our events, we always have a ritual fire and that fire is where, how we send the the gifts to the gods, whatever mm. beings we do. So, you know, pouring alcohol into a fire is just a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. Don't do it inside your house. <laughs> we, we blew up a whole pallet this weekend. It was great. Oh, geez. <laughs> Hopefully you have <laughs> space for that. <laughs> Yeah, we got a little, I was a little close, but I still have my, my hair. So you still got your eyebrows. So that's all that's important. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting too the idea of offering because you did a video on the Celtic paganism and what really drew me to it. Well, for a little bit of background, I, I gravitated towards like, okay, what's going on with paganism? Why do I feel like it's this muddy thing? Where's this coming from? And it was interesting because I was drawn to the Celtic one. And I believe I put this in the, the comments of that video and the podcast listeners know this that I have a past life, like, and I don't remember where you said you stood on it, but from my understanding, I have a past life of being in the Celtics. It would have probably been like in the 1700s was whenever I was told. And it was interesting because there was a lot of like warrior energy with this. But the reason that your video stood out to me was because you were actually at a, I believe it was, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but actually at a offering area for a Celtic God and all you needed to do was like basically place, I think like a sugar cube kind of like in there in this like little nook and cranny. And I remember watching you do that. And there was like, I was like overwhelmed with kind of like this emotional discharge of kind of like crying, like tears were coming to me. And it was like this really bizarre, like kind of remembrance or like, holy shit. Like I, I appreciate kind of what you were doing. It was, it was like this weird, weird thing. I don't remember exactly what my comment was. Yeah. But it was like a very interesting uh, kind of thing. So do you see comments like that frequently or is that like something that's kind of out of the blue for you? I wouldn't do this if I didn't see comments like that frequently. Yeah. <laughs> um, I always say like, uh, you know, our events, you know, we have quite a few events every year. I think this year we've had 23 events uh, with uh, with our community. Um, we've been doing them for around just north of two years now. I think we're coming in on our third year of, of putting on these pagan gatherings. And every single time people come up and they're like, thank you so much. This is the most transformative weekend of my life. You know, I always needed this. Uh, and a lot of the times when I perform a ritual, I don't get an experience out of it because I'm worried about the actual performance of the ritual. And so actually like pouring an offering into a fire or doing something to dedicate, you know, this ritual to a deity, you know, I'm like, oh, I hope it worked. And then people come up and they're like, oh my God, you know, I just had an amazing experience with Odin. Thank you so much. Like, this is exactly what I needed. And so it's through those experiences that I'm like, we're doing the right thing like okay i'm using these elements that we know to invoke this being and we're using this as an offering to connect with them and people are getting experiences out of them to me that is the perfect relationship of religion and what we're trying to do here uh and it's definitely less so through videos because it definitely helps when you're in person but the reason i started my youtube was because i was so tired of seeing people talk about paganism and not show me what it was They'd sit in their office. They would be like, here is a book. Here is a piece of paper. And I'm like, well, how I, how do I do it? They would tell me how to do it, but they wouldn't actually show me how you do it. And so that was one of the things I, I started my YouTube for is I, I pride myself. On, I'm one of the few, if not the only pagan YouTuber that actually shows you my religious practice, shows you the rituals, takes you there with me. Uh, and continually I do it because people are like, thank you. I experienced something. And if, if that helps people, I will continue to do it. It's crazy, man. I mean, I know it helped me for sure, which is 
not something I was thought was going to happen whenever I went <laughs> to that video. Well, uh, I will uh, expand on that. So the area I was at was a place called the Corrymoney Cairn. Uh, and so it's only called that because it's in Corrymoney, Scotland. Uh, and so we don't actually know that much about it. It's a 4,500-year-old burial mound from dating. Um, it's a chambered mound, which means you can crawl through a tunnel and then it has an opening on the top. Uh, it's in the series of clava cairns, which are a very fa famous uh, like cairn system, like you know stone structure. And so its name is only its literal identification. Um, but there I was looking at it and, uh, one of the few things we know about it is there was a singular woman buried there, um, uh, which was already kind of impressive because it was very big. So it's like, this had to be an important person, a very important woman. Uh, and there's red quartz throughout it, um, as well, which is rare, like in the sense that not every burial mound was used red quartz and it was very specific in how it was used. And so the theory behind it is that this woman was a like spiritual woman, which she was either like a seeress or, you know, just a, a priest of some priestess of some kind. Um, but we have no remains of her body. Like her body was nothing more than an oil stain on the ground when they opened it um, because of how old this thing was. And so, you know, going in there, you know, yeah, okay, you know these things about it. What does it feel like? And let me tell you, that thing felt crazy. Like the energy of that place was in out of this world. Um, I actually laid down into it, like where she laid and just like kind of went into like a meditation. Uh, and you can just feel the presence of this woman. I, like, I'm actually getting chills thinking. About I'm it. feeling it. I'm feeling it. As yeah. you're talking about. And so, and so when talking about and sitting there recording a video, I was like, I have to give an offering. And so, you know, just dropping that into the, into the wall and saying, thank you for allowing me to experience this and acknowledging the presence that is there. That is to me what it's all about. Dude, and I'm the, tearing up right now as you're talking yeah. about this. This is weird. Uh, yeah. And we actually took that into a ritual this year. Uh, so Kevin, who was there with me, who has a really close connection to Scotland, knows the Scottish heritage and all this stuff. Uh, we built a burial mound out of wood and we performed a ritual in it and called to her to call her to the States. We did it in Kentucky. Uh, and I sat in the burial mound and allowed people to put offerings into the ground. And then we buried it for her once again. Uh, and so those, you know, you're not going to read that in a book. You're not going to read that in the poetic edda. You're not going to read that in a history book. That's just something that we're like, we want to honor this. We don't want to honor her. Let's continue to build. Let's create new stories. And, and that's really my main philosophy behind what I do. That's cool, man. Yeah. It's so, it's so wild to me because I, 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 I had a very strong connection to like science growing up like i was very logically minded if you can't physically show me something it doesn't exist i went into computer engineering so like math science physics i i get that stuff it's like second nature to me and it's so weird stepping into this new world of things that you almost you can feel their truth you can feel the the resonance of the information I mean, even when you're showing some videos, you were talking about different sites, seeing the rocks, the way they're laid out. You were talking about what it, you know, I think you were talking about in a different video, maybe it was the same video about certain stones that, you know, they were anointing Kings or where blood would have been spilled for a sacrifice. And it's so fascinating to me at this point, because there's so much just energetic truth behind just what feels right. It just feels like it's true. You know, even this getting emotional over something that you're, I wasn't even there and I'm feeling it off of how you're saying yeah. it, how you're presenting it. I was seeing it in the video, feeling that emotion. And it's, it, it's so weird of how it's not weird. I guess it's weird. It's different. It's uh it's weird in the sense that it's new. I would, I would try to say, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, 
it's weird in the sense of trying to mesh it with the science or scientific understanding and this yeah. the scientific world that it feels like has a grip over the western ideology and the western world yeah and trying to sit here and and think of how we're able to bridge this gap between this almost new age of thinking and this old age of spirituality i mean i mean like it's weird because like in my mind whenever i say i'm spiritual it, it feels like this overarching kind of how like whenever you're saying paganism but then there's like nordic there's norse like all this stuff right to me when i say spiritual it feels like pagan like fits into that mold somehow of like there's like okay truth in this and it kind of like is a part of the same well and i would even say like the you know a term spiritual um and i and i actually i typically say spirituality versus religion because i see it as the understanding of spirit that the, the idea that there is something that is spirit and we can interact with it and i think that's a very simple but very true term yeah i would agree with you in that sense as well i but it's interesting because i feel like christianity kind of believes in that at some level but at, at another level maybe not and and maybe i'm getting on a topic we maybe should just avoid because of just not knowing what i'm talking about well i i think i can add to that a little bit so Please i do. do think just because you know i'm a pagan and again like i said you know just because i know there's a very complicated past and a very violent past when it comes to the relationship between Christianity and, and pagan religions, uh, even up so you know up through the creation of North America. You know, Christianity came in and overtook the original religions here. You know, two hundred years ago, uh, and yet I don't hate Christians. I don't hate people who choose to follow Christianity. Uh, you know, I don't like being you know trying to be converted. I don't like you know ignorance. But my uncle is a great example. He's a Christian. Um, but he's the first person I told about my spiritual journey because he's an old school hippie man. Like, let me tell you, he's got the big beard, the circle glasses. <laughs> like he smoked more weed than I think has ever actually existed. Um, but he's still a Christian and he lives at his little cottage in the woods and he takes care of animals. He takes care of the forest. Uh, and he sees himself very much as the shepherd of like taking care of the flock. And he works at a farm. The man is 65 years old, still works at a farm, takes care of cows. Uh, and that's how he connects to to God, to his version of God, to his version of Jesus. Um, he hasn't gone to I don't I haven't seen him step in a church probably in 20 years. Uh, and he doesn't need it. He doesn't need the organized religion aspect to still be a Christian in his heart. And I really respect that. Well, that's what's so interesting about it, right? Is I don't know what I'm trying to go at with this. I guess I was trying to kind of articulate the difference between like science and right because we, we almost like create these divisions between science between religion between spirituality and to me it feels as though like the deepest truth would be the center of the venn diagram that brings all of those together in a sense right and and it, and it's weird because even on this journey i've had it seems like there's things that certain people hold as being truth that other people are like, yeah, you don't really need that. You don't really need to do that. You don't blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Versus versus what? I don't know that it needs to really be against anything. Oh, versus I guess getting into this more mindset of like, well, science is all that we can physically and tangibly prove. So that's all that's real. And it's, it's just fascinating to me of like this, this process of really asking more questions. And I mean, I know scientists were trying to talk to a few that are actually like starting to prove like telepathy and they're starting to prove like all of these like otherworldly powers for lack of a better word that exists and are tangible within our three dimensional space time continuum yeah. that for some reason we've become divorced from, we've almost become more set on understanding the physical world and trying to explain everything from that nature. And yet 
the more we dive into it, like quantum mechanics and quantum physics is a perfect example. The more we understand about it, the less we understand about reality. And so it's like this very fascinating dance or play that seems to be in motion where the more we try to understand the physical world, the less we actually understand it. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. And, you know, and again, these are great high thoughts and high conversations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like, you know, one of the things I don't know if we were talking about it in our initial like conversation, but uh, one of the things that I always talk about with people is understanding what is deity, what is God, what is the goddess, you know, what what are the deities of the world? What is spirit? And, you know, what I always go to is our interaction with the sun on a daily basis and the sun as like one of the first deities we can recognize because the sun provides us something. It provides us warmth. It is a giant ball of energy that floats, you know, floats around us all the time. We float around it. Uh, the relationship between our planet and that those are things our ancestors didn't understand, but they understood the relationship between themselves and the sun because they knew that grew their food. They knew it kept them warm. Uh, they felt it on their face. They felt they could see the light. They understood and they missed it when it disappeared. Uh, and our understanding scientifically of our relationship between us and the sun only further builds our relationship with the sun as a deity, in my opinion. Right. Well, and and I, I think this might be an interesting point to bring up, right? Is like the terminology, because this is how this conversation started was around terminology, the terminology around the word God or gods. And it feels to me like this word has shifted so dramatically throughout the course of human history and maybe even more so into recent human history where, you know, I I've always looked at like the Roman or Greek mythology around the word God. And they almost, in my opinion, in my opinion, you know, not non-professional historian opinion is that they seem to have been using the word to describe a metaphysical energy that we all can interact with. And I, and I point this out because they would say things like the God of war, the God of love, the God of mischief, the God of evil, or the God of, you know, all these different gods. And it's like, it's not, you know, in, and it's not that they were trying to say that there's a person named, I don't know why Cupid keeps coming up, but this person named Cupid who is actually in charge of the energy of love but it comes back to the storytelling where it's like, okay, the story of love is best embodied by Cupid who did this, this, and this, and they saw yeah. their shortcomings here and they saw, you know, they, they then, oh, wow, this is weird. They then lay out like the yin and yang of the energy of, of what made Cupid, what was the yin of Cupid and what was the yang. And we put that into a story and that's kind of how we have agreed that this personification of the energy of love is Cupid. And we'll just label that as being God in an instance, as opposed to this, I don't know. I I just find it so energy interesting how it's almost like, you know, it was, it was energy and then almost dogmatic Christianity believed that it was actually a dude sitting in a cloud or, or somehow our minds, like somehow culture uh, attached to this idea that it was a God sitting in clouds. And now it's almost like, we're scrambling for, for, for it, trying to figure out what it actually is. But, but luckily I think, I think luckily there's people like us who are trying to explore that at a deeper level. Yeah. Well, and I think the resources we have, the, the our oh, ability yeah. to have this conversation allows us to do so much more than the people exploring these concepts in the ancient past were able to do, you know, like I think all the time, all the amazing conversations I've got to have with people around the world that I would never have had if it wasn't for technology. Uh, and so, you know, using technology in the sense of networking and, and increasing our understanding is one of the best benefits it comes from. 
you know, obviously there's the darker side, there's the obsession, there's the, you know, the over usage, there's, you know, uh, all the, the control that people assert onto us through technology. But if we can continue to use it as a tool to communicate uh, effectively about these larger concepts, we're only going to continue to grow in, in depth uh, and exploration into them. Yeah. So then how do you, cause it's interesting, right? Because as you were talking about with like paganism, they didn't write down a lot of these things. So how are you going about like expanding your breadth of knowledge with different pagan ideas and, and traditions and ceremonies to integrate that into your everyday life? Yeah. So, um, I think again, I'll go to this transitional period I've had recently with, uh, me, me traveling abroad for the first time. Uh, and I think it came at a very good time because I was getting to the exertion point of research. You know, I have four different versions of the Norse stories. I have them in the original Old Norse. I have several different translations. I've tried to translate it myself. I've translated into different languages to get different ideas. And so it's like the end of the day, I'm sitting here. There's only so much this can do for me in the connection department. What I need to do is actually get out there. Uh, and so when I traveled and I went to these ancient sites, I would just sit in them. And I would think, okay, let me go into the mindset of someone venerating deity, venerating gods. And why did they use this site? Why was it sacred to them? Uh, and I would sit there and I would absorb it and I would think about it and I would, I would play around with the concepts that they were playing around with. Uh, and so now here back in Kentucky, in, in good old my Kentucky home, I have to take those things that I've learned and, and bring them to my daily life. And you know, I don't know if I can pinpoint an exact situation of that besides like the burial mound that I shared with you already of, you know, giving an offering, a simple offering there and then coming here and calling to it once again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that answers the question. That's, that's just what I was compelled to say. It, it seems like, I mean, you kind of have to just go to those places and almost conduct your own research, kind of like, kind of like you have like this base level you of gotta, knowledge. You got to feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's where it gets tricky for people. I feel like that's yeah. maybe not, maybe not the listeners of this, you know, uh, audience, but maybe as, and I'm probably bringing this up cause I'm trying to expand, you know, the brand and the awareness is that, you know, to, to help other people maybe evolve their level of understanding of, of trying to feel into that energy, like feeling into like what feels like a deeper, more real, more tangible truth. It, it seems like there's something there with the idea of, like feeling into it, right? You, you travel to all these different places and ask people, well, what did they do here? And you, you, you feel into it. You're like, okay, this person yeah. said this, that person said that based on my past understanding and the three years of knowledge I've done into Norse paganism, like, does that make sense? Does this make more sense? What does it look like? Does this look like somewhere that they would have, you know, made a sacrifice? What was this actually going and laying where the body is? And I think maybe uh, something I can add here is one of the things I think here we do in the States and especially with media is we oversaturate our expectations of what religion can be or what our relationship with the gods can be um, or just spirit in general. Uh, and we get these big grandiose ideas, you know, with Norse paganism. I know people always think of the Vikings, you know, they think about Valhalla, they think of the fjords, they think of, uh, you know, the Northern Lights, and they get this big concept of what it needs to be. But what I learned when traveling is it's not actually that. Some of the most sacred sites I were was in was a muddy hole. You know, I was like, there was an area that was actually still maintained by a religious person. Uh, it was like a vulva is like the, the Scandinavian term for like a, a priestess. And so there was an actual vulva from Denmark that maintained this like bog. And she gave offerings there and performed rituals there. And I got to go into it. Mm. And let me tell you, it looks like 
a small little area. It was a boggy hole. There was some mud. There was mosquitoes. It was kind of hot. It was kind of gross. But there was bones and artifacts hanging everywhere. That site necessarily could be found anywhere in the world. It doesn't have to be this big, grandiose idea for it to be sacred. Uh, and I think that's one of the things I really came away from is if, if waking up and realizing it doesn't need to be this big thing. It can be a little tiny altar behind a house. It can be a small little stack of stones in the woods that you know of uh, for you to actually call something sacred. Yeah, that is crazy. The things that you could actually label as being sacred versus non-sacred. Yeah. That's cool. What are, uh, so what I'm looking at your youtube over here what are like some examples of like clothes it says like what clothing penguins should wear like what what goes on in, in that is it like where it's like sourced from or like where it comes from so uh i guess like a lot of the times my videos come from you know debates i see uh so a lot of times i'll post a picture of like one of our events and you know and i have a very specific way i dress for those events and people are like oh why are you dressed like that oh you're warping oh oh you're just making this up you know and stuff like that and so i'm like oh I need to make a video discussing why I wear these clothing. And so a lot of the times my videos are reactions to, to things that I see people questioning. Mm. Um, and so I go through that video. This is why I wear this visor. This is why I have feathers on the visor. This is why I have rabbit fur. This is why I have a drum. Uh, and so I, I try to clear the air on questions people may have. Gotcha. So what's, what is the, cause it is a pretty wild outfit. And I think you, I think you actually sent me this picture in regards to uh, whenever I asked you for like the photos. Oh yeah. Uh, I never actually sent you a face shot. I don't have any face. You shots. don't have any. <laughs> I mean, this, yeah. this stuff's pretty cool. Like if you had a face shot with yeah. wearing this, stuff, cool. that's cool. I mean, maybe we'll just throw this up as the, as the uh, thumbnail for it, but what, like what's going on here? I mean, you got, it, it, it seems to me if I was going to be on the far, the far, uh, what is it? If I was going to be mischievous and try to poke holes and, and make a uh, huge deal of it, it seems like an Indian, kind of wardrobe and i could see people being like oh he's appropriating like indian culture but obviously you're not doing that so what like what's going on here with like this like dream catcher drum type thing and like the hair the uh, feathers on the headband like what it, what is all that so you know a lot of this comes from shamanic practice and so you know a lot of people may say like their only knowledge of shamanism is native american mm. so when you go into the, say oh the appropriating native american culture uh, it's usually people that don't understand that shamanism and the practice of shamanism is a global tradition. Now, that's no disrespect to the people and individuals that practice it still. Like, we need more recognition of the people that still practice as shamans because it's a dying art form that's very, very beautiful. Um, but when you study it and you look at it, you see that there's so many connections to why they do the things they do. And a lot of the things that I actually have within my own ritual department are, you know, things that I just came to my own conclusion of. And I added to myself, I'm like, oh, I need this visor to cover my eyes so the spirits don't get in my eyes. And then you start doing research into African shamanism. They wear masks so the spirits don't get into their eyes. You start mm. researching Peruvian shamanism. Oh, we wear, you know, I forget exactly what they wear. They basically wear something to cover the eyes because the eyes are the key to the soul. And so if you don't want evil spirits getting into your eyes, you cover them. Uh, and so I came to that conclusion myself, but learning from other cultures realized that they do it as well. Uh, and same thing with feathers. I recently discovered um, the Siberian tradition of shamanism. They put feathers on their headdress because they believe that in order to fly to the spirit world, you have to have feathers to fly like birds. Uh, I wear them because I have a connection to turkeys um, as like my own personal like spirit animal or philgia in the Norse tradition of I wanted something to connect me to the spirit guide that I found, which was turkey. And so feathers were the most obvious. I put them on my headdress because it felt right. 
And then I talked to the Siberian shamans. They're like, yeah, we put feathers on there so we can fly. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's dope. So I guess in paganism, then they also think that there's like a uh, animal that can, there's like, they have their own spirit animal kind of deal. Yeah. So, um, this kind of goes into the, almost the archetype discussion, like what is deity again? Because I do agree there is deity. There is the archetype that culture has created of, you know, the basics of humanity, the hero, the deceiver, uh, the king, the queen, the mother, the maiden, you know, all these things are things that we see throughout cultures because it's just parts of humanity. Um, but I also believe in the spirit world, which is something that shamans are able to actually access. And I will specify once again, as I do in my shamanism video, I am not a shaman. I simply practice shamanic techniques to increase my ritual practice. I do not declare myself a shaman. It's a very sacred art form. And I, when I did my interview with them, I interviewed actual shamans who practice or are part of tradition. So I, I do all I can to respect it because I'm very, I very much respect people who are able to be shamans, but I've learned a lot from them. Um, so with that being said, um, you know, looking into the concept of the spirit world and being able to use a drum and a trance to access the spirit world is a really beautiful thing. And I think that's what a lot of like, you know, psychedelics do for us as well, is they open up our pathways to be able to interact with the spirit world. And then we start getting visions and imagery of what the spirit world is. And, you know, people that do ayahuasca see the lizard people, uh, you know, and like, oh, there's some more people that saw the lizard people. And we start are getting a more of an image of what the spirit world actually is. Uh, and we're seeing so many commonalities of what people experience here. And a lot of the times we see a tree um, a lot of global shamanic practices see a tree as the central pillar of the universe or the spirit world. Uh, and no different in the Norse context of the Yggdrasil, where all the worlds sit, uh, even we sit upon Yggdrasil's branches. Uh, and so with going into the spirit world, you, you see these things, you experience them, it allows you to travel among the different realms. And one of the things when it comes to this is animals and guides. Um, I, I actually am working on a video right now. So the Norse concept is called a philgia. And they have their own understanding of why they attach to yourself. And philgia sometimes translates to afterbirth. And so um, a philgia can actually be tied to you at birth. You're given to it at birth. And that's not common among all spiritual animal traditions. Uh, so you see differences among cultures. Um, but the actual concept of a spirit animal is very universal uh, of having some kind of spiritual helper that assists you on your journeys through the spirit world, but also in real life. Mm. That's really cool. It's interesting. You were talking about a tree because that's like the next tattoo that I'm getting is going to be like a, a quarter sleeve on my left arm, oh, like nice. a tree that starts at the bottom and works its way up. Just another little, like, I think poke at me the way that my world like reflects back to me. It's just like, <laughs> Hey, Hey, you said you're going to get this tattoo. Like fucking, fucking get right. it. Um, so this is what's interesting though, right? Is, is if it comes back to this idea of, and I don't, I don't expect you to have an answer to this more of like a, maybe a high thought is like this idea of you know there's spirit animals right and this idea in like paganism which you said philgia that it's like okay people are assigned like a, a soul or spirit animal at birth it's interesting because i i have this interesting inclination and maybe part of me knows the answer but i'm going to explore the question anyhow is like if you're if your culture isn't set up to appreciate the idea of a spirit animal or even wants to denounce the idea of a spirit animal. Does that mean that this like Philgia doesn't like, do you not have a spirit animal? Is it only going to incur in, in cultures that observe it or do they, does everybody have one and only people who arrive at this 
place of, I don't want to say that that sounds wrong. I was going to say enlightenment, but that doesn't feel right. This place understanding. Yeah. Like deeper understanding or deeper, like knowledge of themselves come into contact with us or like, how does that, how does that work? I think I have an answer to it because I, you know, and it's again, not going to be universal. I don't think a lot of what I say can be, you know, applied to any universality. That goes for me too. (laughs) 100% truth to anything. Um, but I truly believe that we are all looking at the same thing just through different lenses. Um, and so while some cultures may reject certain concepts and ideas, it doesn't change the idea that it doesn't exist. Um, so I very much through my own personal experiences believe that spirit animals exist. I believe that many, many cultures also believe they exist and have different interpretations of them. Uh, and I may attach myself more to the Nordic concept because I simply followed Nordic deities. Uh, that doesn't change the idea that the actual spirit animal exists. Uh, it's still there. We just call it different things. We see it as different things. And certain cultures may be like, oh, we don't work with that. You know, it doesn't change the fact that it doesn't exist. Gotcha. Because like, uh, you know, shamanism in general is an interesting topic when it comes to the Nordic and even Germanic, because we have very, very little information on the spiritual leaders of the pagan past. Um, Like almost nothing uh, do we know about what the actual spiritual leaders did. And so it's very like secondhand source. You know, someone comes up and says, oh, my family's been doing this for hundreds and hundreds of years. We've never written it down. And, you know, this is how we do it. That's basically all you can possibly get. Um, so, you know, we look to the close cousins, the Sami people of the North have very similar concepts to, uh, the Nordic people in some areas, you know, and the Nordic people do have interactions with them. Then you look to the Siberian, another Northern tribe that have very similar ideas. And so you have to kind of draw conclusions and influences from all these things, uh, even into like the Celtic Druids and that way the Druids understood things. So, uh, you know, there's nothing, it's like looking at a patchwork quilt that only has 10% of the patch is still there. Dude, another great reflection. <laughs> Cause I always tell people, <laughs> I, they, people always ask me like what I'm doing with this channel. And I'm like, I, I, I see it as like this mosaic where I'm trying to like figure out where the pieces of everything kind of fit into place. So it's like, you know, like I use the word mosaic, but like a patchwork quilt could be a perfect analogy as well, where it's like, okay, people believe in spirituality. They believe in science. They believe in religion. They believe in paganism. It's like, where does this all fit kind of in this mosaic quilt or mosaic artwork i suppose but yeah but to get let's move back to the uh to the uh spirit animals how did you how did you come across that your spirit animal was a turkey and if people haven't come across their spirit animal yet how would you kind of guide them or give suggestions maybe for figuring it out um i'm not the best source for this because this is something that you know uh, I don't heavily work with. Um, I actually, again, I'm working on a video right now. And for that video, I got someone who does. So a really close friend and a member of my community, Darius, um, works with Philgia and, and spirit animals way more. Um, we, I, I sadly wasn't able to get this interview, but one of our community leaders is also part of a, the, the Blackfoot Native American tribe. Uh, and he works with, you know, their version of it, but he's currently deployed uh, in the military. So I was able to talk to him. Uh, but you know, there are a lot of people and a lot of different ideas, but as far as my personal experiences is what I can share is, um, going into a trance. Um, some people of course like to use drugs to do this. I prefer like it's makes it a lot easier, uh, <laughs> but I prefer to use drums and singing and chanting to get into a trance. Uh, and it's not something that I can always do because our lives are so busy. Your head is so full, but when in the rare occasions I'm able to do a personal ritual where I use a drum, I have incense going, I use bells, I do chanting. I'll sit there and, you know, for hours, just get myself into this really, really deep headspace. Uh, and once you're able to get into that very, very dark place, you're able to explore more. 
And an actual trance is when you start walking that spirit world uh, and, and start walking the world tree, so to speak. Uh, and it's just weird. You just get these visuals of what everything looks like in very continual things. And the longer you can get to a trance, the longer these visuals come to you without you placing them into your mind. Uh, and I remember the first time I actually tried to find my philia, find your spirit animal. You're told to just call out to it, you know, call out in your, your thoughts into your energy. I'm trying to find who, what my spirit animal is. Uh, and through that, you know, I was sitting, you know, in my, my vision in, in my trance, I was on a lake shore, uh, which I got to, that's a whole thing. But anyways, I was on a lake shore and, uh, I looked to my left as I was calling to the spirit animal. And the first thing that popped in my mind was a turkey. And I was looking there and I called to that turkey with my mind, with my spirit. And I said, are you my, are you my guide? And then it just started walking. And so in, in that vision, I followed it and it led me to the world tree in that vision. And so it's like, this is my spirit animal. And knowing that I had no connection to the turkey before then, in the sense that like, you know, of course, everyone's like, I want a wolf. I want a bear. You know, I want something yeah. cool. <laughs> and that mine was a turkey. I'm like, has to be because there's <laughs> no way that I would have just put a turkey here, you know? <laughs> uh, but then you start, I started doing research into concepts. Uh, you know, this mostly does come from native American because turkeys are not native to, uh, you know, the Scandinavian region of researching what a turkey symbolizes and its community and abundance and, and, and hospitality. And considering that I'm really big into the community aspect of this, I'm like, it really does make sense that my, my spirit animal, my guide is a turkey. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool because it, it's funny. I have a similar I have a similar story, but it's not with like spirit uh, animals. It actually has to do with the name of my spirit. And what, where was I going to like the idea of the deep trance too? Oh, there's so many similarities here. So like the deep trance is interesting because I've heard about like drumming and getting into this like place of like a, it's almost like getting your brain waves into the right frequency so that you're able to access almost this, yeah. this other world. And and I've obtained that. You're, you're a radio transmitter yeah. and tuning yourself properly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I kind of did this with meditating where I got into this deep meditative state and accessed like what I call the Akashic records. So you get like this records of everything in your life, the past, the future. And for me, an element of this was uh, I kind of I had a book that it was like the book of my life, essentially a book of my soul. And whenever I opened it up, uh, it was like, you know, the audio tape that I was listening to was like, you're going to see a name on the front cover. And this name is the name of your soul. And it said Igor. And I had this like impulse to like push it away. Initially, I was like, uh, I don't like that name. Like, no, that's definitely not yeah. it. And <laughs> through the rest of that meditation, I actually discovered my Celtic past life. Uh, but, yeah. but then it wasn't till like almost a year later where I came back to like, Oh, like I wonder what my spirit name is. And, and I kind of like went through a different meditation and Igor was what popped up. And I was like, no fucking way. I was like, I don't really. Yeah. (laughs) That was it. Yeah. I was like, fuck. And I started kind of like laughing and, and like, all right, maybe it is it. And then, and then in the meditation, they were like, if you're laughing and kind of like joking around, then like, this is it. Like, this is your name. I'm like, ah, fuck. Like, yeah. And it was funny because in your story, you're like, you know, everyone wants to be like this wolf or this like badass fucking animal wants to be their guide. But when it comes back to it, almost that that's almost the ego, right? Like the ego was what was yeah. pushing away my name. The ego is what went into a, attract or attach to the, the ego wolf. was pushing away Igor. Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit, dude. You got me there. Put that on a fucking t-shirt. Yeah, Igor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, that'd be good marketing. Maybe I need to do that. Um, Yeah, dude. And so it was interesting that like 
nobody wants to quote unquote be a fucking turkey like right like right. no one's gonna be like proud and like putting a shirt maybe you could maybe you could put a shirt that says like you know embrace the turkey you know it's funny i think people like joke about it more like again we have like our community discord yeah. and i get notifications all the time people are like oh i saw jacob today and it was just a turkey in the field or something uh, like that dude but, yeah, but it happens to me all the time. Merchandise. Yeah, and then all the, all the time people bring me gifts. Like, I have so many turkey foots and turkey feathers that people are like, I thought about you. Know? Like, oh, great. So I got turkey everywhere in my house. That's awesome. <laughs> but I also, like, ever since I found that, I don't eat turkey anymore. It just, it, like, I just have this aversion. Oh. Like, I don't know if I actually want to eat this anymore. And Whoa. I, I haven't eaten turkey since I found, uh, found that out. Whoa. That's trippy. Yeah. Do you just like what? Do you, what does it feel like? You're just like this doesn't. I don't want to eat this. Like it doesn't taste good. I think it's a. I think it's a respect thing. Okay. Um. Where it's just like, you know, obviously if you're like spirit animals like a cow or something, that might be a little bit more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, I can't eat steak anymore. Ooh. But I don't think that's. You know, you can't necessarily think about it like that. I don't think that's a universal thing. It's just personal. But it was just my way of showing respect to my turkey, my spirit guide. I won't eat turkey anymore. Yeah, because some people could see that as like getting closer to them. By like eating yeah. it, like appreciating it, it could be like, oh, like maybe I'm. But then you start going into the like, but then I start eating people. Am I getting closer to them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, dude. Yeah, there's some weird, like, yeah. you go into like some, I don't know a lot about it, but I know there is a Hindu cult of Shiva, I believe, that does eat people. Really? Yeah, and they sit on the uh, Ganges, like, because people a lot of times will die into the Ganges because they see it as a spiritual thing. And then there's this cult that sits on the edge of the river, down river, and eats the bodies. Whoa. Yeah, world's a weird place. <laughs> yeah, <I've>, yeah. <laughs> this entire podcast has been figuring out just how weird it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, but is there is there any like history with paganism and cannibalism? Is there any overlap there? Or no, not that I, I not that I know of. I know well. Obviously, you go into like further out, you'll find it, and I'm sure it exists. It's like French culture. And yeah, stuff. it's like French stuff. Yeah, it's the French stuff. Uh, you know, I think the thing that comes up a lot of people want to talk about is like human sacrifice. Mm. I think that's like the the thing that people always want to mention because they that's one of the first concepts people understand of like oh they used to sacrifice people and I'm like yeah so did Jews you know and and the ancient times you know one of the, some of the stories in the Bible is literally telling people to sacrifice their sons and stuff like that yeah you know uh, so that's something that we as humans and that's my argument is always like in the ancient past it's something that humans understood as a way to connect to spirit and the gods was to sacrifice a human life. However, we as a society have collectively understood that that is no longer necessary. So it's just one part of our, I believe, our human understanding of spirit is that we don't need to do that anymore. I don't think we're losing anything by not doing it. Um, I think uh, I've waited a long time to bring this up, but uh, have you ever heard of the band called Hylon? Hylon, no. They will change your life. Hylon. Uh, so they in. are, uh, so it's H-E-I-L-U-N-G. It's the German word for healing. Uh, H-E-I-L-U-N-G. Yeah. Okay. One of the craziest experiences of your life. It's a band, but all of their songs are rituals where they're trying to understand ancient like lyrics, ancient poems. Okay. And so they sing them and they create uh, like a like pageantry around them to try to create effect, much like I do with my rituals. Uh, is, you know, they'll sing the names of, you know, Odin. And, you know, like one of their songs is literally just the names of Odin. And them doing something along with it, and it is amazing. And then they they have they've actually started expanding outside of the Germanic and Norwegian area. Uh, uh, they just did a song on their newest album, which is singing the oldest song known to humanity, which comes from Mesopotamia. Whoa. And it's about the god. It's about the. Uh, I believe, if I uh, remember this correctly, she is the uh, Mesopotamian moon goddess, Nikal. The Mesopotamian. And so, 
Yeah. And so they're like singing it and you're listening to it. And it's like this song is like thousands of years old and you're listening to it. And it gives you chills, man. It's great. And so um, really great band. Um, fuck. I can't remember when I was talking about that. I just needed to do a high lung plug because they're incredible. We were talking about what uh, were we talking about pop culture references. Oh, uh, Human Sacrifice. Human Sacrifice. OK, so they have a song uh, called Troust. Um, and like the actual lyrics aren't as important as their performance of it. Okay. And what they do on stage is they bring a woman and she's always bare chested. Like they're really big on making sure she's bare chested. Uh, and they only on venues that are, what do you, like, no, what do you mean by bare chested as in like just her boobs are out? Like she's naked. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's, I didn't like, know if that meant like uh, she didn't have boobs or like, <laughs> oh, okay. no, 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 no. Uh, so yeah, they're really big on it. Uh, the only venues that are like, no, you cannot. Uh, she wears a shirt, but otherwise they're completely topless and they make sure that people are aware, like they are topless, but you don't even think about it. Um, and so the, she's out there and they tie her up with a spear and they like shove the spear through her and through the course of the song, she dies, you know, she like goes to the floor and then the, the second half of the song is her rising again and joining almost like the ancestors in a way. Mm. So it's almost like watching like a humane human sacrifice in the performance of the song. Uh, and sitting there watching it, you're like, holy shit, I think I get it. I get why they did it, but I also get that we don't do it anymore. Uh, interesting. Dude, yeah. that's so fascinating. So, I'll have to check that and out. And we actually, we tried that as well. Um, so after going to that show, we, I went there with all the leadership, like the majority of the leadership of our community, because okay. I think it's very, very powerful performance and it inspired everyone to like create wild rituals. Like our rituals, these last like six months have been insane. Um, and like one of the rituals we did was like a Valkyrie ritual where we honored like the Valkyries that pick up the dead and take them to Valhalla. Uh, and like during the course of the ritual, we do like a fake like death, you know, like someone screams and then she dies and then like rises again through song. Mm. Uh, so uh, in a way, you know, it's like understanding why we used to do it, but also accepting why we no longer do it. Yeah, dude, there's a lot of, there's a lot of crazy shit out there. Like, I mean, in regards to like, you know, the human sacrifice stuff and, and I, you know, I'm thinking of pop culture references and there's a one movie. Have you ever heard of or watched the movie Midsommar? Oh God. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm guessing there's a lot yeah, of that's uh, a, that's, what, there's, that's a sore spot for a lot of people. Is it because of their inaccurate portrayal for, okay. First of all, let me at least read the Wikipedia definition just so people <laughs> are on the same page if they've never seen the movie. Um, read that. Let me grab some water. So I'm going to, okay. Just read that. To the okay. Papers. I'll do that. So everyone's on the same page. Guys, so if you haven't seen Midsommar, first of all, I'm not going to say it's for everybody. It's a pretty like intense movie. Uh, so Midsommar, I'm going to read the Wikipedia definition here. Midsommar is a 2019 psychological horror film written and directed by Ari Aster. The film stars certain people uh, as a dysfunctional. Okay. Stars Florence and Jack, who are a dysfunctional couple who travel to Sweden with a group of friends for a midsummer festival only to find themselves in the clutches of a sinister cult practicing Scandinavian paganism. That's interesting because I didn't actually know that it was paganism. So um, I gave them the brief introduction of it being a midsummer festival for Scandinavian paganism. And I don't even know if they say in the film that it is paganism. They might, but I'm not sure that they do. Um, so So this is, first of all, a spoiler alert for anyone uh, at this point, what happens? Spoiler, don't watch yeah, it. Spoiler, don't watch it. <laughs> it's fucking like it'll fuck you up. Like there's some parts in it that you're like, whoa, like what the fuck did I just watch? Because it, it twists very quickly. Like it goes from zero to one hundred very quickly, and 
as a pat on the back, I saw that shit coming. Like whenever they started drinking the water, I was like, I, <laughs> oh, dude, it was I was like, it was I could over. tell what's about <laughs> to happen here. I was like, I I'm feeling the energy of this movie and it's about to get dark real quick. Um, with that being said, the movie starts off like real dark with like the chick's parents killing themselves or the daughter kills her parents and the chicks. Yeah. With like the ventilator or yeah, gas, the CO2 or from like the that. car. Yeah. It's like, bro, you know, it started off dark and it got only darker. Um, yeah. Like I, the thing I will give that movie credit, it is the most disturbing movie ever to happen during daylight. That's because wow. like the whole movie is basically daylight. Yeah. That's the whole thing. It's like Swedish midsummer lasts until like basically the entire day well, yeah. of the midnight. Sun. Cause it's like 24 hours of sunlight where they were at in yeah. the world. Dude. So what's dude, help me unpack it. Like, first of all, is there like uh, actual legitimacy to this, this paganism? Like you're, you kind of had this reaction. So what is, yeah, maybe first so of all, what's like the generic reaction and then what like help me help me get your line of thought what are you thinking here okay, okay. so what first off the swedes fucking despise that movie okay uh because midsummer is still a tradition they very very much do today like midsummer never went away it never was remotely affected by christianity um so midsummer to this day is the biggest holiday in sweden um and it's very very like tame it's basically there's a maypole there's songs like i was doing research for my next book because it takes place during midsummer uh, and I was interviewing someone from Sweden to get like how they do it. And there's literally a song about how they like ribbit and how frogs have weird eyes and no tails and they ribbit and they hop. And so it's very much just like family barbecue dance around a maypole, like great time. Uh, like, yes, there are legends around it. There's folklore. Like there's a legend of like, you know, a creature that lives in a river that it, like sings songs to children to eat them and stuff like that. Nothing that's out of the ordinary as far as like strange. You know, There's that fear again, by the way. Goes. There's a fear, by the way, right, right, knocking right. the river. Yeah, don't drown kids. Yeah, like, they'll kill you. Yeah, I got it. There you go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you, there's a concept of that for sure. Uh, but the the actual Midsummer is so very much alive that this movie was seen as an insult by a lot of people to the fact that the tradition never went away because it's definitely showing people that no have no knowledge of Midsummer. Like, oh, look how creepy Midsummer is. Oh, they're gonna drug you and kill you. But it's like, it's still happening. Like, it's still going on. And I think that's what really threw people off mm. uh, as far as, like, the actual, like, Midsummer that still survives. Because, you know, one of the things I have to worry about writing this book is a lot of people know that movie before they actually know what Midsummer actually is. Myself included. Uh, yeah. And it's like, Midsummer is such a tame, wholesome holiday that this movie, like, really, just really fucked with it. Um, now, having said that, the movie from a person that really enjoys movie is a good movie. As a, in the sense that they wanted to do something and they did it and they did it exactly how I think they wanted to do it. And they, they created the effect they wanted to create. The whole movie is like a bad mushroom trip and they're doing mushrooms like the whole time. And I think they actually really well, like did a bad mushroom trip. Well, like in the it's sense a of really like the, good, the hysteria. Yeah, yeah. It's a really good. Yeah. Showing of like how you actually like feel and look whenever they first show up at the, uh, at the area, like at the, um, because when they first get there, right, they all take mushrooms and they're sitting on that yeah. hillside. I thought that was like a very well like portrayed, like the way, yeah. like what you see, what you feel, the way you think everyone yeah, else is warping. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was super well done. Um, yeah, and even like you know, like the final dinner scene, you know, like the flowers popping and stuff like that. Like I've had oh, that yeah. before, where I was in the like, and I was in a dead field in winter tripping, and like I saw the plants growing, and it's like that was one of the things I was actually seeing on the trip, and so I was like they did it yeah they did a great job doesn't mean i like it yeah <laughs> maybe not so much for the cultural references but right, right, right because they took a lot of concepts and then they just twisted them i mean the way to look at that movie is more or less 
like the slasher films of the United States, like Halloween or Scream or stuff like that. They took concepts that we know very little of, like they knew very little about and twisted them, warped them to what they needed them to be. Right. So here I'll, I'll uh, elaborate on those, on those twisted and warped sense of them. So if, if you're trying to watch this movie, then press skip, skip, skip a little bit here, but essentially like the really like out there things that were pretty like wild and riveting was the very first thing was that, they had the oldest couple of the tribe who I think hit the age of 75, which they alluded to at the beginning. And I, I saw this coming, but the couple hit the age of 75 and basically they jumped off a cliff to kill themselves and they jump off the cliff. They kill themselves. Then uh, there was what else happened? Some kid was trying to like read a book of like their scripture. And it was basically like a, a mentally challenged kid would like paint in the book. And then it was like interpreted by the shamans, but they didn't let outsiders see it. So then they killed the guy that saw it. And then they had another dude. um, And these are probably like the most like impacting in the mind. They had another dude who they brought there as being like the, uh, what was he? He was like the, he was like supposed to be basically like their, their child bearer because they needed like a new, new seed, like a new, like genetics to come in so that they basically weren't an incestuous, uh, society. So then he impregnates like a chick who basically like just became fertile essentially. So she was probably like, yeah, yeah they're weird. Like, or dude, that was fucking, yeah, yeah. Like it was weird. I, the whole movie you're just yeah. sitting there. Like, <laughs> you feel violated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've never seen, I've never seen that many naked women on screen and felt violated myself. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. You're like so unturned on, bro, like you're just like, Oh, and then they're oh. a mentally challenged, kid, <laughs> a mentally challenged kid sitting in the corner, like watching too. Like, Oh yeah, bro. That was a weird fucking scene. Like again, like what do you want? That movie wanted to make you uncomfortable as humanly possible. And it did great, bro. And then they had, and then it, they had the, uh, the dude that they killed, like strung up in, in, like the greenhouse with like above the plants and they had yeah, like so his, okay was so he still breathing and he was still breathing too yeah okay go ahead so that is uh, have you ever heard like the the blood eagle no concept so this was really big and made popular because of the vikings tv show um so a blood eagle is something we know very 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 little about and probably happened very 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 little um but it was a way of killing somebody where you would crack open their ribs from behind and then pull out their lungs and lay it onto their shoulders and so, and they would still be breathing while the, if they hadn't died at that point. And so the lungs would look like wings as they opened and closed. And then you would have your skin like flayed out. Jeez. And so that was their interpretation of that. My actual knowledge of like, far as I know, in history, we have very small accounts of they drew a blood eagle on their back. And then that's it. And I think that's only like three or four occurrences we hear the blood eagle was drawn. And then there's like one artifact where there's someone laying on a stone and then there's an eagle above them. And that's what we interpret as the blood eagle. Um, and so it's a very, very smallly reference, probably very, very rare event that happened that has been oversaturated with our modern concept of death. And so they took that. They're like, Oh sweet. Let's fuck with you. Mm. And then they put that in the movie, you know, they took the worst things that we know about history and, and put it in and amplify them. And well, and maybe yeah. that plays to their credit, right? Because if, if there's this level, right, and this is the way I view the world and might not agree with everyone or yourself included, but the way I view it is that, you know, there's these different energies. And if we're a soul that reincarnates and, and we've had these past life experiences and we're able to conceptualize these things and we have that energy within us 
and somebody puts on display this blood eagle, for instance, you know, maybe there's a part of my psyche, my subconscious belief system from a past life that has seen this before. Or even if the blood eagle is just as you described it, just this painting on the back, it hits me at this like this very deep place of like, holy shit, like there's a lot of profoundness and it even strikes as being more more true whether or not it's actually true is one thing yeah. but it feels more true because of because of this deep knowing from a past life or, or something yeah i think the the main thing that threw people off and i think my main complaint is that it, it, it suggested that these things could still possibly happen today and that's so far from reality of you know what scandinavia is like they're like the nicest people on the planet they may have a slight superiority complex but they're like the nicest <laughs> people on the planet um and so like to suggest that this could possibly happen i think is what threw people off the most mm. like you know this this cult of people that like detract foreigners into it to basically kill them or use them for reproduction and then basically torture them um and i'm not even actually sure the origins personally of the like diet 72 or 75 um, it's something that's also referenced in the Norse men TV show on Netflix. That's like the comedy show. That's actually their opening episode is joking about that. Um, of like a bunch of old guys are like, well, I don't want to do it. You do it first. And they're like, Oh no, you do it first. And then someone finally does it. And they're like, no, we're not doing, doing that. Uh, let's go back to the village. You know? <laughs> and so I don't, I'm not actually sure of the origin of that. If it actually has a historical origin or not. Um, so I'm not sure, but again, they took something they saw and they're like, Oh yeah, we can, we can make this dark and twist. Mm that's a that's an interesting point too right is like this imbuing with the truth with like falsehood which is super fascinating to me because i've seen that a lot with like ancient aliens is like the first thing that always comes to mind for me where they show all of these like historical accounts and i don't know if we've talked about this but i'm a i'm a channel so i can like kind of like channel different energies and whatnot and and what's interesting too is i've always seen kind of in like tv shows or like what is put out there for people to see or anytime people talk about like inner earth or uh what's the what's it called it's called a uh, hollow earth theory is like whenever there's mainstream attention on things like like very like very real deep things it seems to be that they mix the truth with like a little bit of falsehood so that they can also yeah. almost be like oh well like yeah no it was it was kind of all just a joke like haha but then there are some pieces of it that are true, like maybe this blood eagle thing, for instance, right. that is true. So then you like are almost lost with like knowing what to believe or what not to believe whenever this information is presented. Yeah, and I think that's just media needing to sell. The actual reality of history is less dramatic than the the you know what actually happened. Uh, so you know they need to be like, oh well, you know the story of Ragnar Lothbrok. Eh, we can make a whole TV show on it. So we need to draw all these elements of drama that we mm. can possibly fit into a show. Uh, and so it creates this misunderstanding, but as long as you go into these shows like Midsummer or Vikings with that understanding that this is not history, this is entertainment with like a veneer of history and veneer of culture and dark culture, then yes, it can be enjoyed. And I think that's the appropriate way, but it's when that these things are created and then it, people accept it as truth that it becomes a problem. Well, that's okay. So this brings up an interesting dialogue, especially being content creators that we are. It's trying to find that balance, right? Between like, I, I guess, I guess it's not really a balance, right? Like, like how do you make things that are interesting, like things that are truthful, interesting and fun and joyous without injecting in this, like almost superfluous. I don't know if that's how you use the word superfluous, but this like over the top information that actually doesn't have basis in reality. 
and actually mix right. that with like like how do you actually stick to the truth of of like what it is and make it interesting as opposed to like hitting this range of going over the top and and injecting in falsehoods within the actual truth like we saw in Midsommar. Yeah, I think it's all about balance. So the biggest Norse mythology YouTuber out there is a guy named Jackson Crawford. Um, he does translations of the Poetic Edda. He is a straight scholarly cowboy. Like he is from Colorado. I don't know where he's originally from, but he was teaching in Colorado, wears a cowboy hat, doesn't try to be anything more than he is. He is a professor that teaches you Norse mythology. He gives it to you straight, he gives it to you dry, and he ain't going to like it, but he's going to give it to you. <laughs> Uh, and so I think that's how he built his channel and it's very, very popular because of that. But God, I, I'm so bored watching it. It really is just a lecture of here is the old Norse pronunciations of this word. Here's the reconstructed old Norse pronunciation of this word. And he very rarely injects anything into it, but that's the beauty of his channel is you're not going to get anything that shouldn't be there. I think the funniest thing that ever happened is he had something in the background that he took and he was like, scratch his back with it. And then he like put it back. And that is the level of his humor and that is it okay um whereas me i've had to you know find that balance with the religion and stuff because obviously i was like i want to show it uh so balancing the flair for the dramatic versus the actual religion and i will definitely say i have a flair for the dramatic uh you know it's part of being a youtuber and it's going to happen but i think in the recent years and the recent gatherings we've leveled out we've you know found that balance of why do we do these things? And, you know, recent, you know, we were talking about a ritual and we we're like, oh, it'd be really cool to do a ritual where we had a shield wall because it's a very popular aesthetic as having the shields go up together, the Viking shield wall kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, that's a cool aesthetic, but now let's make sure it actually has something to do with religion and has a, a, a thing that actually creates the power behind it. And so, yes, we may have a flair for the dramatic. We may have some, you know, theatrics, but it ultimately has to come to a religious point. And so that's all we always have to check ourselves on that. That's an interesting point, right? Is like, and this is what was kind of running through my head right here. Maybe I do this with ancient aliens and maybe you can do this with like Midsommar is actually create content around that and be like, okay, this is this like really interesting, like really captivating. A lot of people saw this. Now let's break it down. Where's the truth in the history? And like, where's like, just, are they injecting fun and energy and like making it try to be digestible or emphasize on that edge of, of edgy and, and psycho kind of psychological thriller horror type yeah. thing. Yeah. And I think that's again, like, you know, looking at Midsummer. Um, it's Omar is, you know, if you want an entertaining movie, well, I don't even know if I would call it entertaining. If you want a movie that makes you feel weird and does it through art, it's like sound art. Okay. Hold on I real quick. I just school, lost your audio. So I'm not what ha sure it happened there. Can you try talking again? Uh, testing, testing, testing. Yeah, I don't have you. Hello? Let me, uh, we'll pause the oh, recording and then bring you right back. <laughs> yeah. Your table's <laughs> affecting my recording over here. So, <laughs> uh, shit. All right. All right. Try again. my hands here. So as far as like Midsummer, and I think the way to look at this is if you're going into Midsummer, wanting a, an experience, like a very specific experience as far as like feeling creepy, you know, feel like daytime horror, then great. But don't go into Midsummer expecting a representation of Swedish culture. And I think that's just where it, those things get wrapped in together. Uh, and people are like, oh, this is Swedish culture and a horror movie at the same time. It's like, no, it is not. It is a horror experience based on Swedish folklore, which I'm sure that's when they sat down and made it. That was their idea. It's just when it translates to the modern audience and the millions of people that watch these things, you know, we were talking about the sizes of audiences and stuff like that. You know, people don't understand that concept when they watch these things. I wonder how many people watch that movie. Let me look that up. Let me see if they have numbers on that. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, 
I'm sure it did fine. I mean, usually those horror movies have very small budgets and they usually pull in, you know, 80, 90 million or something. Bro, I know. What was the one movie? Um, Blair Witch Project. It was like, oh, yeah. It was like $10,000 to make it and they made like $200 million. Well, yeah, it was a paranormal activity as well. Uh, you know, I think that was like a $60,000 budget and brought in like 400 million or something. Dude, so crazy, right? Okay, let me see here. Midsommar grossed a total of $48 million. It was projected. It was projected for seven, eight to ten million. Uh, made three million on its first day. What was the budget on it? Yeah, I'm trying to see here. Uh, let me just search budget. Yeah, yeah, and so nine million seems like yeah. a lot. Yeah, it was a pretty high budget for a movie like that. But yeah, I don't know. I guess like the balance is key. You know, we're always going to have to check ourselves. We're always going to have to stop ourselves and think, why are we doing this? You know, and you know, with anything in life, um, I think if you're doing psychedelics, if you're doing mushrooms to get high and that's it, you know, start checking yourself in that, you know, I only do psychedelics or mushrooms in order to enhance a a spiritual experience. I don't do it to be, be the spiritual experience. Yeah, man. I mean, intention, we could, we could do a whole podcast on intention. Like it's powerful. I mean, especially when it comes to like psychedelics or, whatnot like if you're not if you're setting the intention to have fun totally cool do what you got to do yeah. be safe stay hydrated do it responsibly <laughs> avoid alcohol keep snacks around keep snacks around yeah have a good yeah. time all for it but it, it's so important i mean that even goes to this this education or like education versus entertainment right am i watching yeah. this to be educated or am i watching this to be entertained and i think where it becomes it becomes difficult and i've noticed this with like uh I've noticed this with, with, uh, social media as well is like, all right, am I using this to get entertainment or am I using this to get education? And there's such a a blend. There's such an overlap that I think it becomes difficult for our brains to be able to discern. Like we almost have to actively be discerning like, okay, is this for education or is this information, is this information education or is it entertainment? Yeah. We have to set our time, like right. You know, this hour is entertainment time. This hour is work time. And you know, that's something I've really had to work on. It's something I'm still working on in our modern digital world as a, as a content creator that runs social media. You know, I woke up this morning. Um, I feel like I turned Canadian. I woke, I woke up, um, and I <laughs> got to work, you know, yeah, right, right. Uh, I drank some water, you know, um, I had a little bit of breakfast, but I sat there and I did my social media work for the day. i made my post on the two accounts that I'm, you know, a part of, uh, I responded to messages, I checked the comments, and then that was it. That's all I'm going to do today for that. Because the moment I let that seep longer than it needs to be, then it becomes drain time, it becomes endless scrolls, it becomes, I'm just doing this for no reason. And then I'll have entertainment time. I knew how to do this podcast. I know after this, I need to go to the store. And then I have entertainment time. Whatever I want to do in that two-hour window to entertain myself, you know, whether it watch movies, scroll social media, endlessly play video games, that's fine. But I have to establish those things for myself. No, I absolutely love that. And I think what I was trying to like point towards, and there's a question here, I think, for you as well, being a content creator, is like if you go on to let's say TikTok. TikTok's the perfect example. You're scrolling and it's like the piece of thing that you're consuming can very much be an entertainment thing versus an education thing, right? right. If you're following a bunch of people who are entertainers and educators, to discern from the every 30 seconds like okay, and is this an entertainment? Is this a piece of entertainment or a piece of education? Yeah. And to be able to make that discernment, I think is really difficult because it it takes a proactive approach 
to each piece of information. And if you're flicking your finger every five or 30 seconds, you have to take that second. <laughs> you have to take that second to be like, okay, am I educating myself or am I entertaining myself? And whenever you have this cluster of information, it becomes hard to discern which is which piece of information. Well, yeah. Let's look at the exact terminology here. The news feed, the feed, you're feeding something. And so you have to choose what you're feeding yourself. And and what you were doing is when we're scrolling on social media nowadays, we're trusting an algorithm to feed us, mm. not feeding yourself anymore. Uh, and so what the algorithm is going to send you is what it believes you are going to need to keep feeding and keep consuming. Um and so something I actually noticed recently, um, and you know, people won't believe me when I say this, but, but truly I, I keep my, my wisdom of Odin Instagram. It's mostly like, you know, like pagan stuff. It's almost all pagan content, but recently there's been an infusion of boobs and out of nowhere, I like, I'll scroll and it'll be like, oh, here's this girl talking, but she's got like her nipples pointed out and it's useless content. And I'm like, why is this happening? Why all of a sudden am Did I you start liking shit? stuff? Did you start liking it? No, I don't, I don't ever like anything. That was my problem. But I think what it is. Yeah. I had to stop. I literally had to stop and I just like, will now pass them by and like, I try to well, now like, like other shit so that it feeds me other right. shit as opposed to just but, mindless tits. They alter the algorithm all the time. And that's the thing. I noticed a change overnight where, you know, mm. my normal feed was now being infused with it. And I'm, I'm sure they made a tweak where it was like, oh, male, straight, white. Okay, feed him this. Here's boobs. Here's this. Here's what women we think he likes. And the fact that the algorithm is thinking of these things now is obscene. And that's terrifying. And so being able to control, you know, I, get, I don't use the feed. I search things like, okay, am mm. I wanting to entertain myself? And so I'll search like, you know, MRE videos. I weirdly find MREs interesting. And so I'll search MRE, you know, find what content there. I'll search Norse Pagan if I want to find stuff what's, there. What's MRE? Uh, like, I forget the actual terminology. It's what they use to feed soldiers when they deploy. Uh, so, like, meals ready to eat. That's it. Um, okay, my computer's starting so to So it's just literally the... Yeah. yeah, it's just the food science of how you feed soldiers. Uh, oh. And so it's just like how they dehydrate hmm. food and how they, you know, make sure they can survive five years the food, like I have an MRE around here somewhere. A lot of my friends in the military, so they'll give them to me as gifts because they know I, I find them interesting. But that's okay. one of the weird, different, quirky different things. Different on the whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's one of the weird, quirky things I find interesting. Everyone has those things. And so if I want content like that, if I find that entertaining, I will search it. I won't trust the feed to give it to me. Gotcha. Is the point here. Yeah, man. I mean, there's, I mean, especially on Instagram, man, it seems like there's this overwhelming... And I always thought, I honestly always thought it was because I just like liked hot pictures. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like this shakes hot. Like I'll like it, but there's, but it's really interesting now because like, this is where it comes back to education versus entertainment. If you see a hot yeah. girl, right. It releases dopamine. It releases serotonin in your brain yeah. of like, Ooh, I want, give me yes. And then they say some fucking stupid ass shit. Like all men are pigs or, uh, you know, I'm being a little bit uh, playful here, I guess, but in like a right. top but they'll say something ridiculous about like red flags or they'll say some stupid shit. And since all of these chemicals are getting released in your brain, there's like a, a belief that you attach to it. Like it gets into your subconscious right. mind, whatever it is they're saying. And there's no validity. The only validity that they have is that they're a hot chick and their boobs are out. And it's like, some yeah. reason your brain's just like okay believe it and then store it in there and it's like i'm, I'm thinking of like a catchy hashtag here like protect your dopamine <laughs> <laughs> uh, defend because oh, like, there yeah. it is defend your dopamine. Yeah, defend your, defend dopamine, your dopamine defenders oh, oh dude yeah, yeah we've uh yeah, the way we can have a, a new uh, make a new podcast called dopamine defenders oh all right we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that <laughs> we'll... 
I like it because I, I, you know, alongside of my pagan understanding, also I started discovering like the minimalism stuff, and not necessarily living with like a bowl and like a you know a pillow. Like I don't believe in that. I just believe living with less is good uh, because I understand that there's very little things I need to actually make myself happy. All the other stuff is just material wants and desire. Uh, and I think when we do meditations, when we do med, like, you know, I like to call it medicine when we do like drugs, when we do, you know, uh, mushrooms of clearing ourselves of something that's, you know, mushrooms clear my mind of all the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I can return to the bullshit and cycle through it. Um, you know, recently coming back from a spiritual gathering, looking at my phone, like you are a tool, you do not control me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and returning to the tool aspect of it. I like that. And no, same thing like you go with entertainment versus, uh, you know, work, you know, what is work, what is entertainment, what is education and then def- labeling those things. So we understand them. Well, bro. And this is, and this is probably also a piece of what I was saying. And this was like a part of my content journey is once you start creating content, you almost see behind the scenes of either the cuts, the edits, you know, right. the camera angles. And I was like cutting myself off from that relaxation and entertainment because anytime I was like looking at content, I'm like sitting there like, why is this viral? Like, how do they start this? What was the first thing they said? Why am I entertained? Where's the dopamine spikes in my brain? Why am I getting these (laughs) dopamine spikes? And so it became like I was still working while getting entertained and it was draining the fucking shit out of me because I could not sit there and just like take it for what it was. It was very much like... I want to recreate this, but with like my own twist of like what I'm doing. And so I I would always argue as a content creator, um, like you almost have to say like, no, that's work. Like when it comes to Instagram, I I very rarely use Instagram for pleasure anymore. To me, it's mostly like, no, that's work. Um, a lot of the times I'll actually delete it off my phone after I'm done for the day. Mm. Uh, and I'll redownload it the next morning because why not? And it makes sure because we were so used to like, having idle time you're sitting there they're like oh cool swipe 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 you know you don't even know and i start asking myself that question i think this is one of those open consciousness thing you know it kind of fits in with the channel is tell you ask yourself questions when you reach for that phone why am i doing this is it to entertain well you know why was the scrolling doing for me uh and i think when we start asking ourselves that questions we start building those those uh systems for living that make us happier oh 100 percent, man 100 percent and it's really just bringing that conscious awareness into it to be like, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? Right. And, and I think there's a lot of times and I, I've been trying to do this actually in the last month, like, like this past month, uh, for those listening, this is going to be airing in January, but you know, we're talking in December it, like this past like month, I was like, okay, I've been doing so much fucking shit for like the last 16 months. It's been crazy. I've uploaded two podcasts a week for the last 15, 16 months. Like it's crazy. And I came to this realization of like, I'm never in that like relaxation or receiving mode, right? It, yeah. it, it, it feeds on this topic. Even if I'm jumping on Instagram, it's not for mindless entertainment. If I see a video, I instantly am like, okay, why is this working? Like, why is this happening? And so I, I've really needed to kind of step back, I think, these next couple of weeks and like, okay, I'm putting myself in receiving mode. I'm relaxing. I'm, I'm like receiving. And it was yeah. weird. It was weird because there was like this, like very, like like uncomfortable like if i'm not doing something it's not working like right. nothing's happening yeah, like shaking. yeah. <laughs> it's like i need to do something and and so i've been very much in that in that energy of just like okay just like just chill do nothing i've been trying to meditate more when i get uncomfortable it's like why am i uncomfortable it's like oh you feel like you should be doing something but i'm not doing something you know and it gets this like weird little mind fuck starts happening yeah 
No, I mean, honestly, I, I'm terrible at it. I'm a, I'm a workaholic. I haven't had a day off in probably six months, but I schedule that time. I, you know, like I said, after this podcast, it's my free time. Uh, I don't allow it to be infected with work. I don't allow it to be infected with other things. I, I, I have true three, four hours of decompression. And, you know, getting to that point allowed me to still be a workaholic. So <laughs> well, not, I think maybe that, not the best example. Well, no, no, no. But I think that's the beautiful thing. And that's kind of whatever, what I'm getting to, or at least where I'm starting to arrive at, which is having that healthy balance of, of actually kind of setting it up where it's like, okay, you're, you're grinding for, let's say eight hours. Let's say you do eight hours of solid quote unquote work, but it's not work to you because you love what you're doing. You love the content you're putting out there. You love learning about it. You love diving into it but you need this like decompression state. So you take then the next two hours or you at least set aside those two hours of doing nothing of relaxing of mindless entertainment. Maybe you put on a movie, right. And, and it allows you to actually continue doing it. You're balancing the doing with receiving you're balancing that, that grind with relaxation. Whereas my mind, like the last 16 months, there was no receiving, there was no relaxation. It was, yeah, like, it's, like, it's I, like a breath. Yeah. And it's like, and how can I turn this into content? How can I turn that into content? Even when I was on vacation, it was like, how can I make content out of this? Oh, it's fuck like, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think that's, I mean, I think that's like really the, the place to be is in that place of like finding that balance between the doing and then the relax and restoration. So I think I can turn this back to paganism here. So all right, let's do it. Well, let's it. go. So let's return to paganism. Um, so even into the holiday thing. So we typically have our events around the, the solstices and equinoxes. And what I've truly appreciated about having these times of year, uh, you know, looking at the ancestors, looking at the ancient times and why they celebrated, it was because of, uh, you know, the agriculture, like, oh, we celebrate spring because we're planting our crops. We celebrate midsummer because we're working hard. We celebrate the harvest because we finally did the work. We celebrate winter because it's dark. And this might be the last time we see our family because the winter and the wolves are going to kill them. Uh, you know, these are the reasons they did these things. And so we don't have to do that now because we don't live by these cycles anymore. But what they do for us now is we sit down, we sit in spring, we reflect on spring, we reflect on the work that we have before us, we reflect on beauty, we slow down time for a weekend, for a day, and we say, thank the world, thank the gods, thank the flowers for being beautiful. It allows us to enjoy our lives even more. Uh, and I think that's the true beauty of, uh, of practicing paganism, is you look at these archetypes and these concepts, and you're thankful for them. You're thankful for the life you live. Uh, and even the hardship, you know, uh, Odin in particular is a, a deity of hardship. Um, because he had sacrifice, like one of the main motifs of Odin is he hung from a tree pierced by a weapon for nine days and nine nights with no food and no water. And so this idea of sacrifice, but in the end, he got magic. In the end, he got the magic of the runes. And so within our own lives, we make sacrifices all the time. Um, we have to give things up uh, in order to get better, in order to grow. And so when life gets hard, uh, when it gets painful, even you're sitting here like, no, these are the sacrifices I have to make. I have to learn from these things. And you're able to connect with Odin on a deeper level because of that. Um, so I think it allows us to live a life of understanding that life is sometimes hard, uh, but slow down and realize why is it hard and then enjoy when it gets better. Dude, I love that. I love that. And, and I'm getting, uh, I, I'm getting the ping in the back of my head that we should like wrap this up, bring it to a close. I, I am seeing what is it wow i'm losing my train of thought my brain's lagging <laughs> i'm seeing some glitches on the technology uh, no, I feel right like now we're getting the feeling it as well yeah so i always love giving the space uh for the guests that i have on 
whatever, you know, speak to the audience, whatever you want to encourage them to do. If you want them to research anything, I know you got a book that just came out. You can plug your book. So like take this time now to speak to the audience, tell them what, what you want them to do. You want to plug in words of encouragement. So this, the floor is yours. Yeah. So I think the book is actually a good place to go because the theme behind the book is something that I really, really believe in. So um, A Yule Story is the book I wrote. Um, it's a children's story, so to speak. Anyone can enjoy it, though, um, because I really loved Christmas movies as a kid, like 1990s Christmas movies, Home Alone, uh, you know, A Christmas Vacation. And I really sat down and I was like, why did I love those movies so much? And I broke them down and I was like, it was the family elements. It was the importance of family, of exchanging gifts with your loved ones. Um, but also there was that magical element. All these movies had an element of magic to them, of some otherworldly being influencing them or an idea or a concept that gave them inspiration during this time of year. Uh, and there's always this concept of love, like, oh, it's the time of year for love. Like love actually, it's like, well, it's Christmas. You have to tell people you love them. Like it was like this magical thing. And so when writing this book, I was thinking like, why, you know, let's bring back those concepts uh, because now it's become so material. This time of year becomes so grinding. It's so much less about the magic. I wanted to write a book that was about the magic again. Uh, but of course, being, you know, a Norse pagan, I wanted to bring in those Nordic elements. And so the mysterious person that gives influence the, the, the main character is Yulnir, which is a name for Odin. Um, another, uh, which just means Yule figure. And then Yule father is also, you know, just Yule father is another name for him as well. And so he gives advice to this, this boy, Eric, on how to bring back the magic of the season to his family. Uh, and so the whole story is about how to bring back the magic. Uh, and then the end ends in like a, a dinner where everyone's talking about their ancestors and, and talking about their family. Uh, and like one of the main magics of the book is he's able to bring back his father uh, for the season by talking about him. Like literally in our world, we can't do that. If someone has died, we can't bring them back from the dead. But by talking about them, we allow them to live in some way. And so I definitely noticed that people don't talk about their family anymore. And I want to really encourage people to talk about their family, to tell stories, especially during this time of year. Uh, so this whole book encompasses a lot of these ideas. And, uh, and of course, that's a lot of the ideas behind my channel, uh, the community around the channel. So I really recommend uh, picking up the book. So I think it will help you understand Norse paganism a little bit and maybe my philosophies on life. So you I can find that. it on Amazon now. And uh, so far it's sold over 300 copies, which is way more than I expected. So Hell yeah, uh, yeah, I'm happy. Congrats. I'm going to write a, I'm writing a sequel. It's going to be called a Midsummer's Tale. And it's going to be based around the, the, the actual concepts of Midsummer. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like we need that in the, in the world. One last question before you take off. Uh, it just hit me in the Marvel series. Odin is the God or the, um, the father of Thor. Is that the same in yeah. paganism? It is actually the same in, in mythology. Um, so uh, Odin is the father of Thor. Um, he technically, like the story is actually, he uh, has Thor with the goddess Jord, or Jord, which is the goddess of the earth. Um, mm. So I actually was uh, commenting to someone today that was asking about this. I don't actually believe like gods have sex with each other in the sense of like, I don't believe Odin went and had sex with the, the earth to create Thor. But I, what I believe is that people understand concepts of like Odin is, you know, wisdom is, you know, the father figure. And then you have the earth mother, and then you have the concept of Thor and the thunder. And so those relationships of the father figure of wisdom and magic mixing together with the earth creates thunder because it's this big magical force. So I think we understand our ancestors understood concepts as to this. And that's why we have stories of, of Odin having Thor with the earth kind of thing. 
I don't gotcha. think she's out there humping, humping the frat <laughs> You never know. Energies can you be weird know. sometimes. Hey, I could be completely wrong, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, it goes back into what we were talking about earlier with like energies and invoking stuff. Um, but guys, thank you so much for listening. Jacob, thank you so much for being here. If you learned something, guys, I always encourage you to share it. I, I know I learned a shit ton about paganism, pagan culture. Uh, go check out um, Wisdom of Odin on YouTube and Instagram, but YouTube for sure, because that's where I found them. Again, please rate wherever you listen to this. Please rate, leave a five-star review. Uh, Go follow Wisdom of Odin on YouTube and share this with someone who doesn't know as much as as, uh, Jacob does about paganism. So thanks you guys for listening. And like always, I will see you guys in the sixth dimension.